It's a five-star podcast. Because we do it. What's up, everybody? Welcome back. It is episode 63 of the What's Real podcast. I am your host, Ed Demko, along with my main man with the motherfucking plan. And of course, my tag team championship partner podcasting himself, the J. Jared Bajoris. What's going on, the J? The blood's flowing. Hey, yo, as we do our number correlation with our episode numbers, it's episode 63, the JFK assassination episode. Ah, okay. Okay. Yeah. 1963. That's like all I can think of. (laughs) Yeah. 63 is not a year that sticks out in my memory for some reason. God bless you, JFK. But that's the correlation. It was 1963. But yeah, nice and pumped up, man. As always, uh, things are going crazy here in 2021. Hey, you tons to cover. So your boy is prepped and ready to go. Uh, We got a really good show for you guys and also a little bit of a correction we have to make. So we said coming up this week that there'd be a WWE Fastlane uh, or Fastland Fastlane preview. Uh, There's not going to be a preview. Uh, We're just going to review the pay-per-view because we were wrong with the weeks. So that's a bonus, I I assume. Um, But me and the Jay were kind of talking about this and it's kind of rendered itself almost pointless if you think about it. Uh, doing the previews because especially how many times have we complained on here the Jay about like last minute like bait and switches or just matches that couldn't happen or card changes that we couldn't really even talk about the week before so it's just the way they do wrestling pay-per-views for the most part even though AEW I think has been pretty good with it um, the last minute changes and shit I think we're gonna kind of skip out on the previews unless it's for like Major stuff like WrestleMania, I think we could probably do one for that, Uh, like bigger pay-per-views because there's just so fucking many of these shows and it's uh, it's kind of exhausting to keep having the show basically be filled with mistakes because of what they do. So we're just going to kind of hold off on that. I I think everybody will be fine with it. If you don't send us an email, uh, put it that way. Uh, What's real pod at gmail.com. Exactly. So. I just wanted to throw that out there. So we're talking uh, Fastlane, uh, WWE pay-per-view. We're going to have a review for you guys. Thursday Night Prime is going to have Murphy's Law from 1986 with old Chuck Bronson. So that's going to be some fun uh, from the guys at Canon Incorporated. Uh, Gotta love Canon action flicks. Uh, Also, uh, our list of our favorite WrestleMania matches of all time continues. And we have a review of a brand new documentary that uh, I thought was pretty interesting. Uh, it's called Kid 90. Uh, we'll get into that more in the show. But uh, if you're a fan of Punky Brewster from the 80s, this might be something you find remotely interesting. So stick around for that as well. But we have a ton of other stuff to Jay. And uh, as we were doing the show last week, this kind of information was breaking. So we just kind of steered clear of it to get more of a view on what was happening. And uh, But dude, I got a question for you here. What is going on with Deshaun Watson? Yeah, it's unfortunate, man. You know, a lot of ever ever since the the kind of groundbreaking of the Me Too movement and, and that whole thing, and kind of shining a positive light within social media for the true victims, of course. Yeah. And uh, you know, it, it's just a whole big crazy thing, and, and that's why they describe it as being a movement. I mean, it's a full on movement. And this is another unfortunate thing that could kind of go within that 
realm, I would say, where unfortunately Deshaun Watson, and as we always preliminary want to say, innocent until proven guilty. You know, you mentioned we wanted to kind of see where things are going, but at this point, when it's multiple victims, you know, completely different victims uh, coming from multiple different women, then it kind of gets to the point where you got to kind of side with, with the women or start siding with the women at the least. And uh, yeah, unfortunately Houston Texan quarterback, Deshaun Watson being called a serial predator and has some alleged sexual assault, inappropriate misconduct uh, conduct and a pending lawsuit. And, uh, there, or lawsuits, plural, I should say. There was the news last week whenever we were doing the show that there was some kind of legal action coming against Deshaun Watson. So that's why we didn't really mention it. Uh, but now looking at it this week, uh, they're, you know, they're up to lawsuit number 14 as of Tuesday uh, when we do the show. Uh, I can imagine what this is going to look like by Friday when our show actually drops. Um, but yeah, without getting into like extreme details here, I mean, everybody can look that stuff up uh, if they want to. And I'm sure if you follow sports in any capacity, this is something that you're going to be remotely familiar with. But uh, Watson uh, basically was quoted on uh, Twitter, essentially March 16th. I have never treated any woman with anything other than the utmost respect. So this is basically just a complete denial on his part. I don't know any other, you know, I mean, there's been details about situations that he's found himself in. Also, uh, former Texans receiver Will Fuller, who just recently signed with the Miami Dolphins, says, I fully support Deshaun. I don't know any of the specifics about what's going on with him, but I fully support him. I've been talking to him. To me, it seems like his head is on completely straight. I'm just looking forward to seeing where everything goes. Hopefully he's okay. Uh, Yeah, and, you know, hopefully this stuff is all bullshit. That's what you want it to be. But like you said, the J, when you get this many people together, like kind of a thing, it's, uh, you know, it looks a little shaky to say the least. So, yeah, it's again, it's tough to refute 14 different accounts from 14 different women. Yeah, basically. So uh, we can move on from that, I guess. Uh, But, you know, it's something that also. Uh, we figure, you know, we cover the NFL here on the show. So that's the, that's the main thing about it. Hey, Ed, covering the NFL is how this is going to affect this season with him. Yeah. yeah. Cause there, there's some time between now and in the, the start of the season for, for things to kind of play out with this you know, again, multiple lawsuits. So this is definitely going to be an ongoing story. I'm sure we'll, we'll keep our eyes on it and keep covering it as, as far as important details being exposed uh, from week to week. And I did see too, that uh, even with everything that's going on, there are at this point still about eight NFL teams that are fully in on him uh, to trade because that's, that's kind of like the big news story leading up to this is he's been seeking a trade out of Houston. Jesus. (laughs) No, I don't think so. Uh, But yeah, he's been seeking a trade from Houston and who knows if that's going to happen at this point, but they said that there are teams that would still be willing to trade with everything that's going on. And of course that's, you know, the potential that will be suspended uh, on top of that. Uh, and, and also it could be, cause this has happened as recently as Antonio Brown, uh, where we can see somebody, you know, see him get put on the commissioner's list and he just won't be able to play, won't get paid and everything's going to be kind of up in the air until the NFL does its own investigation into it. So, uh, but yeah, as the Jay mentioned, uh, 
we'll keep our eyes and ears on this as the weeks go on. I'm sure there's going to be a continued amount of stuff to come out uh, for this. But who knows, man? It's weird. Nobody wins in those situations. Hey, Ed, if, if the victims are trying to go for some sort of a money grab. And again, that's that's kind of the other side of the story. Like what's the motivation to kind of put yourself out there like that if these are untrue? Uh, but that would suck. And then obviously, quite obviously, if these allegations are true, that's just horrible for Deshaun's behavior and personality. Ugh. Yeah, it kind of sucks. But moving right along here. Uh, now, this is something that me and you, uh, I, I kind of try and find something about this if I can on a weekly basis, just to put it here on the show, because I know of a few people that weren't really familiar with this until they heard about it on the show. Uh, but that's this week. Uh, there was an LATimes.com article about the whole Nike scandal that we've been talking about. And, uh, you know, of course, the, it's... It, a lot of it's basically a retread of what we've already said, but that's a good thing because you want this to continually get traction. So Nike eventually has to answer for it. And the reason why I brought up uh, this article was because they, they talked to a few people that, and I think these people are right. They were kind of making a point here about how uh, Nike isn't really doing their part. And this is what we were saying. Uh, previously on the show where Nike's like, we're trying to combat the bots and do things so people could get sneakers. And it's, that's not really the way that this stuff works out. Uh, whether you like it or not, it's just not, <laughs> but this article was cool to Jay. Did you check this out? Cause they were even talking to a few of these people uh, in ways that you can kind of curb this stuff. Right. Yeah, no, it was very interesting. I liked that they interviewed, um, you know, this this guy was really informative. He, he's uh, Chad Jones, who I guess recently, uh, last year, founded Reseller Marketplace, another lane with his wife. Uh, he was throughout this article and had a, had a lot of good feedback on this. And, and like you said, it's just kind of thir- further, you know, going deeper even into this whole system and just how rigged it is. And like you mentioned with the bots and stuff, and we, we called out Donahoe yeah. and his, you know, the Nike CEO guy that we called out that it was just corporate rhetoric, the usual shit that they just put out there and stuff. And, and we, we just saw, saw through complete horse shit. And uh, yeah, I mean, we mentioned there's stock X for a reason reason where it's, you know, a marketplace in which shoes can be traded like stocks. And that's where it gets. And for it to be rigged, and, and it was funny because not too long ago, a handful of podcasts ago, we talked about the whole, um, you know, when, when the, the lower level guys kind of took over the stock market with the whole GameStop scandal and that sort of thing, and, and kind of a parallel to, to this whole thing. But again, yeah, this kind of opens up even more details into something we've already covered on two different weeks. So it, it's kind of, like you mentioned, a really good thing to see because more of a uh, spotlight is getting put on all the bullshit here. And I know that there's people that probably listen to this shit on our show and they don't get it. And I understand because not everybody's into sneakers, but like, let me just put it to you this way. Whatever your hobby is, let's say, I, it, let's just for sake of arguments here, we're talking fishing. So you like to fish, right? The J, that's your thing. You like to go fishing every weekend. So, and it just so happens that you buy a lot of different fishing poles and lures and all that fucking stuff. And you like to buy all the newest, coolest shit and some stuff you just buy the stuff you need and, you know, the typical things like that, right? 
So that sounds like a pretty normal thing for a guy who's a fisherman, right? Now imagine you being that fisherman, and I'm a dude who doesn't give a fuck about fishing. Not at all, right? But like every weekend where you go to the fucking fishing store, there I am spending mad loot, and I'm just buying all the shit you want. But the point of me doing that is just so I could come right back to you and be like, yo, you know that $200 fishing pole you wanted? I got it for you for $450. That's essentially what the reseller is in all of this. So maybe that gives a better understanding of all that to people who listen to this and are like, what the fuck is all this? Like, that's what this is for people who like sneakers. Now, there's competition being into sneakers. And I don't mean like other sneakers, like me and the J aren't like fighting each other over a pair of Jordans, right? But what it means is you're in competition with other fucking people who come in and out of your hobby for various reasons, right? Like say they want the newest shoe because it's a hype thing and you don't, but you want the shoe because you love Michael Jordan and he wore that in a playoff game that you watched with your dad as a kid. And you're like, fuck, I've never had those. And I always wanted those. And you collect sneakers in general. Like you'll also go to the mall and buy fucking sneakers and order random sneakers here and there. And sh- because you like sneakers, that's kind of what you do. That's probably the group that me and the J fall into. Uh, and then you got all these other assholes out there competing against you for something you wanted. And most of the time it doesn't really affect you. Like, you don't give a fuck if you get some Travis Scott Jordan ones, like maybe to resell. That's the only interest we would have in something like that. But it's just, yeah. and people are doing this in large quantity. That's also part of the problem here. Well, as I said, Hey Ed, in recent years, as we've been talking about, and it's kind of the stock market comparison and where sneakers have become an asset class like stocks, bonds, and cryptocurrency, of course, becoming a multi-billion dollar market worldwide. And they trade on a variety of reseller platforms, as we know, StockX, Goat, Fight Club, Stadium Goods. And the marketplaces like to promote their extensive authentication processes so that buyers know that the items they end up with are the real deal, i.e. those little, you know, for StockX in particular, we, we've joked about those. Uh, they come with like the green kind of tokens on them mm-hmm. and, and some goofballs will actually wear their shoes out with that and stuff. Uh, probably young bucks, but, but yeah, that goes into it again. It's become like stock bonds and cryptocurrency. You know, it's, 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 it's becoming an asset like that with shoe collection, you know? So especially for somebody listening to us that has no clue shoes are at this level, they are. Um, and then as far as this scandal goes, as it says within the LA times article, Hey Ed, uh, this hasn't been the market's first scandal, not even just so far this year. Yep. In 2021, only three months in, where a February collaboration between Nike, Air Jordan 1, and Trophy Room, a retailer owned by basketball great Michael Jordan's son, Marcus, yep. had a particularly messy debut with shoes showing up on social media before the official drop date. Sneakerhead screened favoritism and profiteering. Of course, Marcus Jordan blamed leaks on the distribution center. So it's always the finger pointing game. And and as me and you have both said, man, there's sometimes as 41-year-old men where we just say, like, why are we even doing this when it comes to things like this? Uh, there was a, a commenter posted on YouTube that this makes me want to drop the shoe buying game. Uh, you know, said another, this man talking about, uh, you know, Joe uh, Herbert, this man is the reason y'all don't hit on your kicks when you want them. 
And a uh, longtime sneakerhead Manny Cruz said the field has been flooded with big spenders who are only in it for the money as you're kind of breaking down, hey, Ed. Yep. And shoe drops by Nike and other retailers have become a joke, he said, uh, who works as a wholesale auto parts distributor, you know, and just kind of does as a hobby like us. So, you know, there, there's there's a lot to this, but I think, you know, it's two guys that, that have put our time and efforts over the years into it. It's it's just very interesting to us wh- where we want to talk about it here on the pod. And, it, it, and again, with it, them continuing to dive deeper into this whole thing with this scandal kind of opening things up. Uh, I'm definitely going to keep paying attention as long as more information's, you know, released. Yeah. And that's definitely why I wanted to kind of bring light to that here on the show, because it's something that we've continually followed and I want to keep following this. Like, this is something that I am like, not like we're some kind of big media force here, but like, this is one where I'm like, you know, as a sneaker head anyway, I'm like, dude, we're going to stay on your ass about this. Cause it's just is what it is. So uh, it's kind of ridiculous, but you know, there's not much else you could really say about it uh, other than that. So we'll keep our eyes out for more information on this and we'll bring it to you guys as we get it. So stay yeah. tuned. And, and I just wanted to end it with, you know, as uh the, the dude I alluded to earlier, Chad Jones, uh, who owns Another Lanes, who's right with us. Hey, 42-year-old sneakerhead, you know, CEO of Another Lane. And like he says, quote, you know how you combat somebody who you think is getting too many pairs of sneakers and just in it to resell them for as much as possible? You don't buy from him. Yep. It's that simple. And then when he's stuck with $100,000 worth of product and can't pay that credit card bill back for mommy, then he's out. Yep. So there you go. Good way to end it. Yeah. I totally agree with that. And that's, that's something that I've tried to absolutely stay on top of. I've been pretty good with that for the most part, but it's really hard sometimes to not go to StockX and just order shoes that I want, especially if I have the money, you know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, Yeah. But that's all part of the game. You make the decisions yourself. You spend your money the way you want to spend it. But uh, that's not it as far as sneakers go. This is something that I think uh, maybe we should start doing here on the show on a regular basis, the J. But uh, I, I also sent you this article. It's from sneakernews.com, the, the week's best sneaker releases from March 22nd through the 28th. So we're kind of ahead of ourselves here, but that's fine. Uh, just about some stuff that they have coming out. And obviously we're not going to talk about a lot of the shit because there's a bunch of like foam posits and weird shit some weird shit yeah did you but i wanted to ask you i know this probably isn't your thing anyway but did you see these air jordan one patinas they're like a brown do you do you like those or those something that you're like nope not not for me not for me you know me with brown dude i just do not like brown um they're different which which is cool i mean if if i'm gonna go the brown route because they're they're almost dark enough brown to almost look like a copper yeah. which is kind of cool. Yeah. So I wouldn't put past somebody, you know, and, and these are something that could go with a pretty, pretty sick outfit, like a put together outfit yeah. with some khakis, things like that. Like we always talk about the fashion side of it, but they're not, they're not the Jay's personal cup of tea. Same. Yeah. It's just, I would definitely skip over these, but you know what? I probably, it's a little bit outside the box speaking of like Browns and stuff, but I probably would get these if I, you know, like if I have the extra cash or whatever, but the, the, bacons. the bacons, yeah, I love 90s yeah. and those are, they're, they're a little on the weird side, but like, that's not, you could throw that together in the summertime with some fucking shorts and a t-shirt. Like, yeah, that's why I called that. I could see you in, like in those, they're, they're not really my cup of tea, but they are pretty cool again. And you know me, I'm anything different. I, um, I, I can respect. 
put it that way. Dude, these this is gonna probably be like if I'm spending money on a shoe over the this week time period we're talking here, this is probably what I would try and get. The Air Jordan Five Stealths. Yeah, those are sick. They're unbelievable. Like with the white and blue, like I just like them. I'm kind of surprised that Nike's doing them. And, uh, you know, and then, of course, there's a bunch of other shit, too, that they like the dunks and stuff that they're doing. Like, it's ridiculous how much stuff Nike and all these companies put out. And then, of yeah, course, on top of that, they have those Yeezys in there. Oh, uh, the fucking foam runners. I, like, what? <laughs> like, come on, man. Like, that's that's shit that I feel I'm like, all right, this is signs that I'm just old. Like, yeah, it's like you're in the film Dune it, wearing them things. Like. And well, and then they got like, you know, like this is something that that annoys me too here, that just as a reminder. But like these clot uh, Air Max nineties, uh, they're like the the nineties with the fucking uh, like the camo and shit on them. Like, yeah, I don't really care for this particular pair, but like it, it's annoying to me. Like when they do these fucking collaborations and they put out something really cool, and it's like there's no fucking way you're getting that. Like when I was talking to you recently about those Travis Scotts that are blue. Yeah. Like those are ridiculous. Right. Like I'd love to get a pair of those, but that's, but there's no way it's never going to happen. I, it goes into the article we were just covering. Yeah. I'll, I'll try it on the sneakers app if I could get them. And that's the only, like if I totally pull this out of my ass and get a pair, that's the only way I'm getting a pair period. Yeah. Cause that's like the, the air Jordan five stealths you mentioned. I mean, it's the same thing, mm-hmm. you know, we'll both probably, go for them that Saturday morning, right at 10 and just get the non gaudy. And that's, um, you know, uh, well, I was going to say part of the game. Hey, Ed. I, I'm not giving out my secrets, but I, there's other things I would do. Like I, there's other avenues I would take to try and get those. That's not even reselling. Uh, if it's a shoe, I got like, if I have the money and it's a shoe, I got to have, I have like numerous, like I'm going to wake up, I'm going to do the sneakers app. And then I'm going to do like my other five, six things that I normally do to try and get them run out in store like you do. Yeah. That's, you know what I mean? Like there's certain, but see, sometimes that works and sometimes it doesn't because sometimes they're like a retail uh, release and other times they're not. So there's a few on the shoe. Yeah, exactly. So that's the thing too, man. Like if you want a pair of fucking shoes, you got to do your homework. And that's just how like me and the Jay were talking uh, with this whole sneaker thing now, like if you want a pair, you got to do extra. You're not just going to a store and buying them. That's not how it works anymore. Period. Yeah, because at the end of the day, if you're smart with it, you could you can make some money on it. Depending on how you want to go about it, we've discussed that. You know, are you going to be a reseller or are you going to put things on ice and see what happens? You know, it depends on what you want to do. It's a whole crazy crazy game in 2021. Hey, you have the sneakerhead ness that we currently cover. And what's funny about these new releases, one of the pairs I saw on here that if my wife was a little bit more into like, you know, she's like any woman, of course, loves shoes and she could be into some Jordans and stuff. But did you see those Air Jordan 12 ice creams? Yeah. Because she likes pink. Yep. Like that, that'd be a nice gift for her. I don't know how tough those are to get. And I love 12s just anyway. Just kind of talking out loud watching this. Yep. Like I'm not, that's obviously not a pair I would wear. And that's not obviously what you're saying here, but like. I do like to see shit like this because that's the thing. Like you're into fucking sneakers. Like even when there's something you wouldn't particularly wear, even buy, it's like you still want to see it. Like, you know what I mean? Like I wish there was a way to see a lot of this stuff in person. Like, yeah, we always say it's that the art aesthetic of it. You know, this is like art to us. Well, and you never know like this because this has happened probably to me a bunch of times. But like, you buy a shoe 
or you order a shoe and then it shows up and it's a little different, maybe for the better, maybe for the worse. Maybe you a shoe kind of grows on you because I've done that where I bought a pair of shoes. And I'm like, these are cool. And then I set them aside and I haven't worn them and maybe once. And then it's like then eventually like they just start wearing on you or you wear them one time and they're super comfortable. And you're like, why don't I wear these? So you start wearing them more. Like, it's a weird thing having a fucking sneaker collection, man. Because you just do all kinds of shit that, you know, it just is what it is. But, and, uh, which obviously leads me to this, DJ, as a sneaker check, if you will. What's real sneaker check? Did you have anything today? Because today was a weird day. Like, the weather wasn't bad. It wasn't raining or anything. But, you know, did you, did you pull something out of the collection? I mentioned to you, uh, I broke out for the first time. I mentioned on the show when I bought them, I pulled the trigger on throwing on the Under Armour Steph Curry's. Ah, opinions. I, I like them. They're they're kind of like fly net, like they they slide on, kind of like the sock yeah, version. Yeah, yeah. You know, like I have those um, home MVP Adidas that are similar to that. That's so I, I definitely like that aesthetic. And uh, yeah, I was breaking them in, man. They were comfy, like you mentioned. It was a beautiful day. So not doing anything crazy, just running out, around with some errands, not wearing them any work activity or anything like that, of course. And uh, again, just a refresher. Those are the new Steph Curry basketball shoes that are kind of like, I, I, as as the Jays perspective of it, they're almost kind of like his version of, of the Jordan 11 uh, patent leathers, you know, black and white. Uh, they they kind of look somewhat similar to that. But yeah, I, I enjoyed them pretty sick. And as we do, hey, throwing it back at you, sneak a check that's, of the week. That's funny as shit. I, that's why I said that because uh, you were saying about the fly knit and shit. So I actually wore, I pull these out because I haven't worn these in a while. Uh, I have a pair of Adidas EQT uh, 9118s. They're, they're called Alpha Types. Yeah, I know those. And Sick. they're super fucking comfortable and I haven't worn them in a while. And I was like, literally, I had that moment where I was like walking and I'm like, dude, these are so fucking comfortable. <laughs> yeah. Because, uh, dude, uh, say what you want. Boost is still fucking pretty comfortable. Uh, I'm not complaining there. And I haven't worn these in a while. And it was the kind of thing, too, where I was like, dude, I need to wear these more. So and that's going to be possible, obviously, too, because the weather is going to be nicer. So. You know, it's always nice, like we say here on the show, man, to fucking break out a pair of sneakers <laughs> whenever the weather's decent because you spend literally like three plus months wearing nothing but boots because the weather here's shit. I, th- I noticed that my iPhone, my kids were just randomly asking me like, you know, what's the weather? And I just happened to notice the weekly forecast and like six days from today, next Monday, uh, from when we record in Pittsburgh, supposed to snow, there's like the snow emoji. That was snowflake. Yeah, I did I'm notice like, that, awesome. that went away and hopefully it stays that okay. fucking way. Hopefully it stays away. Yes. But, Cause that was over the weekend that I saw that. Dude, so. weather here it changes. Yeah. It gets fucking volatile man. we've had some of the worst weather uh, like of our life lifetime in the month of March in Pittsburgh. Granted, it's been a long time since that's happened, but still it's, it, it can kind of like, and dude, I, I even remember that like years ago when we used to go to the cinema wasteland convention, uh, because that was like always like a spring show kind of thing. And then they would do the one in October and dude, the one in October would be warmer than the one in fucking April. The spring, yeah. <laughs> so it's you gotta love the northeast of the United States yeah, weather-wise. It's Fuck. it's fucking ridiculous, but you know it is what it is. But uh, also moving along here uh, into the world of professional wrestling, 
the J, did you see that Andrade was released from the WWE? And according to Dave Meltzer, he does not have a 90-day complete clause in his contract. Yeah, yeah, no non-compete, so he can just go right to another organization. As with professional wrestling here in 2021, everybody's you know wonders off the bat if uh, he's going to be signed by AEW, which uh, again we've we've talked about it that parallel from the past when TNA, which is now Impact, was really running full and they would basically take anybody that was released from WWE and that wasn't really a formula that worked. However, there are there are some there's some talent you really can't pass up if it works out. And I think Andrade is honestly one of those guys. But we'll have to see. You know, a lot of the rumors that I'm seeing uh, from various different sources on Twitter are thinking that he's going to go to Mexico and Japan for a bit. So so we'll have to see. But uh, it'd be cool if AEW does sign him as opposed to doing what they did with Christian and Big Show. They completely just hold the, the cards tight to the chest and, and have a big surprise like on a big show with them or something like that. Yeah, I mean, obviously that's a possibility. Uh, I don't know how much of the story that you saw, but there is word apparently that the reason why he got a release this way was because of Charlotte. And they mentioned last night on Raw that she's out with COVID, which I thought was crazy because they've never really said that once about anybody this entire year. And I don't know if I believe it. <laughs> <laughs> like yeah, well, so I I didn't hear this. So what's the the rumors that she had a falling out with WWE? Well, no, it's and, and, because she like obviously they're engaged. I don't, for people who right. don't know that, uh, but she you know he was looking for his release, and she basically went to WWE and was like you know fucking. She's also doing the Walking Tall reboot. I thought she was doing something with the Walking Dead, but I think I just read it wrong. Oh, God. Uh, but yeah, she's doing a Walking Tall reboot for USA. I guess it's a movie. Um, so she's doing that. And, you know, I don't know if that takes place over WrestleMania or not. But I mean, you know, and she also went to them and said, like, he gets his release or I'm not wrestling at WrestleMania. And I don't know if she's going to be able to wrestle at WrestleMania anyway. And they've kind of replaced her in the feud against Asuka with uh, Rhea Ripley. Well, we'll have to see more professional wrestling drama. Hey, yeah, but definitely going to be interesting to see where Andrade goes because hence why he wanted his release. They weren't using him very well. I mean, he's been there, which is crazy going on six years. Just time just freaking flies. He's been there since 2015 and uh, they, they haven't done much with him. And he's definitely a capable athlete. He's had some great matches here and there in the past. So, so yeah, it's going to be interesting to see where Andrade goes. He's, he's still young, uh, wasn't wrestling a lot. So I'm, I'm assuming he's, He's ready to go and, and unleash uh, on the independence. Yeah, we'll have to take a look and see how that works out because I'm sure that's going to be happening sooner than later. Somebody's going to definitely pick him up. Um, also in some more wrestling news, uh, this is pretty comical. Uh, WrestleMania 37 tickets uh, were on sale. And here's the liability waiver you can send to if you use one. Did you see this shit? Sign over your soul yeah. to Vince McMahon. <laughs> yeah, I mean, this is from cagesideseats.com. Uh, and, I mean, it's it obviously says a bunch of stuff. Like, I, we've all seen this kind of thing. But there's specifically a part that says, I have voluntarily agreed to attend this event. Uh, attendance is potentially dangerous due to, among other things, risk of spreading or acquiring COVID-19 or similar infectious diseases. 
other and other unanticipated and unexpected dangers may arise from my attendance at the event. I hereby assume all risk of loss, damage, and or injury uh, to my person and or property associated with my attendance at the event, including weather caused by the negligent acts or omissions of Tampa Sports Authority, Raymond James Stadium, and World Wrestling Entertainment Incorporated, and each of its parent subsidiary and affiliate companies, and each of its officers, directors, shareholders, employees, independent contractors, agents, or representatives. I could read further, but I'm not going to. Um, but this is Jesus. Like, <laughs> yeah, you're basically <laughs> signing your fucking life over. So if you're going to be one of those 25 to 50,000 people attending WrestleMania 37, WWE wants to make it very clear. You can't sue them. If you get sick. Hey, that's the, yeah. the bottom line. Yeah, so basically if you're attending WrestleMania, good luck. Uh, <laughs> With Florida still reporting thousands of new cases daily. Yeah. And dude, that's uh, reminds me too, as of April 5th, your boys going to have his vaccine. So I'm excited about that. Uh, yeah. Congrats, man. It's just a, a relief. Yeah. I don't know how long it takes to get the second one or how long I have to wait to get it, but like, I'm all about it. So let's just take that shit and get it over with. So uh, looking forward to that. Uh, but dude, also in the world of combat sports, this was pretty surprising to me because I didn't hear anything about this. I was kind of wondering somewhat recently what was going on. But uh, according to ESPN.com, Evander Holyfield representatives say that Mike Tyson declined a $25 million offer to, f- to fight on Memorial Day. Um, and this also brought out some more information, because if you remember, the Mike Tyson, uh, Roy Jones Jr. fight was through an app called Triller. Um, and Tyson uh, apparently turned it down. Uh, and he also said that any future events he does will be with his Legends Only League, which has not posted a blog update on its website since January 20th and still says next event announcement coming soon on its front page. Uh, just to be clear, there is no Tyson with Triller fight. Mike Tyson wrote on Instagram. I don't know any Triller executives personally. I don't have a deal with Triller or any head executive representing them for the next event. I am a partner in Legends Only League, and my next event is with my league. I will never do another event or any business with Triller, so anyone misrepresenting uh, that they own the rights to my name or my next event isn't true. I am not or uh, will ever be with Triller's Fight Club. So that's kind of a surprising, I guess, news development that he's just not fucking with Triller. Uh, which isn't super surprising. I mean, they could probably get more money for what they're doing, but you know, uh, I'm not really a person that wants to see this fucking fight anyway. Live program note to you. Hey, you know, just since we're here at combat sports, I wanted to bring something up to you real quick when we're done with this story. Okay. And regarding, regarding this story is kind of misleading. Cause you see the article, of course, you know, trying to be clickbaity and, and I get it. You know, that's the point of a headline, but it's saying how, Tyson turns down 25 million to return to the ring, you know, as like an overview. Yeah. But then as you mentioned, when you read into it and they have Hollyfield's manager, Chris Lawrence quoted in the article. And he said, you know, that we thought this was a done deal, but it fell quickly apart when Tyson's people declined all offers. We were negotiating in good faith all along and it appears we just ended up wasting our time. But as you've mentioned, Hey, Ed, it goes on to say that Tyson's problem was with Triller. So I'm kind of thinking that Hollyfield's camp was, aligned with Triller and that's what happened here. It wasn't like a personal 
breakdown between Tyson trying to fight Holyfield. It's specifically that Tyson has this company that he's actually part owner of, which is of course what he's going to be involved in moving forward. And this trailer was like a one fight deal kind of thing. And that this is just strictly a business move. Yeah. And that's probably what it is. I mean, I imagine too, that Tyson and them feel like uh, they could probably get on regular pay-per-view or do things in a different manner where they could probably make more money than doing it on an app. Um, But I don't know. I mean, I don't really know what the current climate is in for basically freak show boxing because that's what this stuff is. I mean, it's it's more of a you know exhibition than anything. Like we want, we both watched the Tyson Roy Jones fight. That was a lot of fun, but the fun level on this stuff kind of goes down the more these guys do it. I think they know that. Um, But trust me, I don't think Tyson's turning down a twenty five million dollar deal if that's what we're talking about was on the table for this, unless he feels like he could get more. And he probably could. Yeah, I'm just in your camp. I mean, guys well past their prime. The exhibition was definitely cool, uh, but it could be a quick faded fad kind of thing for sure with the age of all these guys, no matter what kind of shape they am and freaks they are. And uh, yeah, in in this article too, uh, hey, Ed, just to bring up, uh, because it is related news, uh, we talked about this off air a bit, but Oscar winner Jamie Foxx is definitely still being confirmed. I know it's been a rumored thing for a while, but he's going to be playing Tyson in a forthcoming TV series directed by Antoine Falke and produced by Martin Scorsese. So uh, within this, that's kind of still an interesting thing as well on what you know what's going to happen there. Yeah, I mean, I think that there's, you know, because I've even talked about this off the air with you, I know, a couple of times about Mike Tyson's podcast. And he has what seems to be like the right kind of people guiding his career, like people that are looking after like his legacy and his likeness and shit. So like, yeah, I, and I think there's a lot of money in Mike Tyson. That's just, oh, for sure. there always has been. So uh, it kind of is what it is when it comes, when it's concerned with that shit. So that doesn't surprise me that they're doing something like that at all. Yep. And um, if you're ready to move on, hey, yeah, I was going to throw my tidbit at you just since we're here in the combat sports realm because, okay. again, we we mentioned it and didn't plan on covering it. And I won't I won't be long winded on it because we have a ton of stuff this week. But because uh, I just realized on, you know, one of these ad banners, of course, <laughs> within our references that this Saturday, the 27th is actually the UFC heavyweight championship rematch. Uh, Miocic versus Nagano 2. Yeah, dude, I was and, really surprised to see how soon that was when I heard about it. I'm I like, mean, what so, the fuck? Yeah, I figured I'd just, hey, throw it at you here on the air. We don't have to do any big, long-winded thing like I mentioned, but let's just make our picks because as we, we talk about, we're kind of lapsing UFC fans. I, I'd say I still keep track of it a little bit more than you, yeah. but we still both have the interest when there's big matchups, and that's the case here, and especially considering they far so fallen in between with Miocic first Nagano 2 being such a huge heavyweight fight. Who you got? Hey, this Saturday, Nagano. I that's who I'm going for too. Yeah, that's I thought would have happened the first time around, and it's just you know what I'm saying. Like it's, I still believe that. Like, you know, I don't. It's, dude, I don't know why, but like Miocic isn't like a dude that I'm fully sold on. Like he's not a bad fight. It's it kind of reminds me back in the day of like like a Frank Mir, like a heavyweight that's totally. He could win the belt. He could be great. He could do a lot of different things, but he just kind of doesn't. Like, they've had some sort of success, which obviously, you know, they. they so, I don't know. 
it, that's just, a, I, but I was wrong about it the first time. So, you know, what that's the know? thing, Joe Rogan, Joe Rogan talks about it. He knows more than us. And he says, you know, when you really look at the statistics and the history of it, you know, the record and the, the top tier fights that, um, Stipe's had in his career that you could definitely argue that he's the best heavyweight of all time. So there you go. He might not be that flashy guy. He's maybe missing that Conor McGregor-ness and, and that sort of thing that maybe has has people kind of sleeping on him consistently. But at the end of the day, his his record, you know, pr- proves it. And he's the current champ and he beat Nagano the first time. So it, it could definitely go either way. But uh, I just feel like this is Nagano's fight. Uh, with the timing of it and that dude is just such a monster but i'm really looking forward to this man i'm gonna check it out so uh, i'll give a quick opinion next week as well uh, most likely so we'll see what happens dude that just reminds me of something too because i saw this the other day i don't know if you even know what this is there's a podcast called drink champs and it's it's noriega the rapper's podcast Okay, yeah, I think you've you mentioned it to me and uh, before. I never caught it though. They had I saw like a I, I'm assuming it's a new episode because I don't listen to it frequently. I do occasionally listen to it, but I saw that they had Lennox Lewis on, and that kind of like you were saying like one of the most underrated dudes of all time type thing. Lennox Lewis is another one of those guys, and they were talking to him about fighting Mike Tyson. And he's like, I like Mike Tyson, but it's like you know the way he looks at it. And I thought this was kind of hard the way he summed this up he was like everybody looks at mike tyson as like the boogeyman and he was like i was the dude that beat him like flat out just beat him like there wasn't no funny bit like when they fought like lennox lewis just beat him up and yeah, it wasn't like the ear biting no, holy field the circus kind of thing and it wasn't like prime fucking tyson but it was probably prime Lennox Lewis. You know what I'm saying? So like, that's a good point. You know, nonetheless, it it is what it is. Like, you know, I love Mike Tyson, but he's not a flawless boxer. No, very few dudes ever undefeated. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's why Mayweather is such a big deal. Yeah, that's a good point. Interesting perspective, but also kind of, uh, kind of curtailing off the world of mixed martial arts and stuff like that. I thought this was pretty cool. And this is perfect for our show, The Jay. But a Variety.com article that came out uh, mentioned that Jason Kathari, Hong Kong-born entrepreneur and film producer, uh, and also uh, John Fusco, uh, are producing the Bruce Lee scripted The Silent Flute. Uh, The Silent Flute is set in a dystopian future after mankind has suffered from pandemics, fires, and civil wars, and where all weapons and combat arts are banned. It follows a raw fighter who overcomes grave obstacles and loss to reach enlightenment and become the best fighter in the world. Uh, This is also, if you guys remember hearing on here at any point, me talking about a movie called Circle of Iron with David Carradine. That's what I was going to mention. That's what this was based on. So it's a really, really cool story. And it's a really cool, like, like, dude, Circle of Iron to me is fucking amazing. So I'm curious to see more takes on this because I think like if somebody does this story justice, it's like will be an an extremely memorable and amazing movie. And just a little bit more about it. Hey, Ed, the silent flute film script was a five-year collaboration between Lee and his friends and martial arts students, Oscar-winning writer Sterling Silifan and Oscar-winning actor James Coburn, who was always known to kind of loaf with Lee like a lot of the 
the the big guys at the time. And it encapsulated Lee's vision for the true essence of martial arts and the meaning of life and was his boldest creative passion project and remained unfinished after Lee's death in 1973, which of course cut short his, his brief film career. So, and you know us, anything Bruce Lee, yep. we're going to be interested in. And I guarantee uh, uh, they don't give you a number, but they mentioned how the rights to the silent flute were purchased from the, the handful of producers, all going to be credit, credited as executive producers. And I'm assuming, hey, you know, they spent a pretty penny on the rights to the silent flute. Yeah, because I don't believe that would come cheap at all. Uh, that's probably no. something that the Lee family pr- probably held on to, rightfully so, for a long time. And that's that's all good. I'm just glad to see that somebody's getting together to finally make this. Um, now, the J, I got a question for you, because I know you're at least a fan of the original like I am. What do you think of Ace Ventura 3 currently being in the works from the writers of Sonic the Hedgehog? <laughs> so a couple of things off the bat. Hey, well, number one, uh, throwing it out there on the pod. I am a humongous Jim Carrey fan. Uh, he's a big influence for me and I've been watching him since the original Ace Ventura went back when we were at East junior high and turtle Creek. Hey, yeah. Oh, yeah. So, um, really looking forward to seeing what they could do with this. Uh, I can't even remember. I watched it uh, one time. I bought blind bought it on Blu-ray cause I missed it in the theaters, but the dumb and dumber sequel, I can't even remember. It's a so that just shows that just shows you <laughs> that one didn't pan out. So we'll have to see. But just Jim Carrey as Ace Ventura can—it's just my type of comedy. It can maybe carry an hour and a half film for me alone, even if it's just ridiculously stupid. A la the sequel, yeah. Which I remember first seeing that and thinking it was just ridiculous and stupid. And then that was one of those ones over the years that freaking kills me, man. It gets me every time when he comes out of the. That he's in the electro or the mechanical, I should say, rhinoceros, yep. and it's one of the funniest things of all time. And the people thinks he he's like birthed from the rhinoceros because he gets <laughs> stuck in it. And he's sweating. He comes out naked. It's it gets me every time. So there's parts of it, and then of course when he like gets the uh, spears thrown in his legs and all, you know, again it's like that classic stupid shit it's like on on par with like sandler stuff you know sometimes you're in the mood for that brain candy comedy kind of stuff it's definitely a mood thing and uh yeah hopefully if they use the character right you can imagine this story would be pretty paper thin but it'd be interesting to see what they they do and if it's jim carrey coming back at the as the character just like just last week we we reviewed coming to america with eddie murphy almost 30 years later uh there's a chance that this can work yeah so we'll have to see uh, obviously, it's not anything we're going to be seeing uh, immediately, but it's also being uh, developed for Amazon. So it's kind of perfect, like as you mentioned, with the correlation and of Coming to America, the sequel. For the record, hey, Ed, uh, because my son loves Sonic and he loves that movie, okay. it's actually not bad for a Oh, really? Movie, okay. So. I just, yeah. I heard terrible and, and things. And Carrie, of course, hams it up in there. Well, I could see that. I mean, everything gets mixed reviews now, and I could see Sonic getting shit on, but I can just tell you as like a a family movie experience kind of thing. You know, it was, it was all right. So I have a bit of a surprise question for you, the J since we're talking about comedic stuff. Uh, This is something that I ran into over the weekend. And for some reason, I'd never thought about this, but you know, like when people will say to you, like, what's your Mount Rushmore of something Uh, like, you know, so you got four choices and it's, it's usually like, you know, it encompasses all of a certain specific topic. Uh, You get it a lot in sports, you get it with wrestling, things like that. But somebody brought this up to me and I thought it was pretty interesting and I was able to figure mine out. Okay. And you can do this however you want. It's your list. 
but give me your comedy Mount Rushmore. Now, I, I saw a lot of people do this with, like, you could tell different people were kind of mixing it up. Some people had, like, their favorite comedic actors. Other people did, like, their favorite comedians. Other people kind of, like, mashed it together in a weird way. And that's kind of, I think, what mine would be. Um, but, of course, all mine are known for stand-up as well. But, like, and not to put you on the spot. Uh, no, it's fine. You know me, I could do it. Uh, and I'll I'll do it in a quick and easy way here in the chop shop opening hour, small talk segment that we do here. Hey, it won't be too long winded. Okay. And uh, so you're mentioning like you, you could also, you're not just talking about people though, comedy people or are you people? Yeah. Because it's, it's literally Um, the Mount Rushmore of it. Well then I could, I could audible what I was thinking and and use the people. And I'm just going to, I'm going to give you my top three off the bat since you put me on the spot. Right. All right. So here we go. And, the and dude, with the comedy, and, and, comedy. and when I first did this, I came up with three pretty quickly. And then that last spot was kind of difficult for me to make the fourth, but I was able to do it and I can explain why, but go ahead. Okay. So I'm going to go Trey Parker and Matt Stone. Okay. Robin Williams. Okay. Jim Carrey. Okay. And. Let's go just straight up stand up for this. I'm going to go with Richard Pryor as my fourth. Okay. So in the original list that I saw for this and people were arguing like crazy over it, it was Robin Williams, Billy Crystal, Steve Martin, and Chevy Chase. And I, Okay. So I did see that picture because uh, yeah. that picture popped up like the greatest four in comedy. So that sparked all this. Yeah, exactly. That, that's cool. Yeah. Gotcha. Okay. So my list and this is the one that's pretty much universal that I saw with everybody except for that original one was Richard Pryor. And that's definitely on my list. Um, the other one for me is George Carlin, uh, Rodney Dangerfield. And the fourth one, I was like, uh, like in a way I wanted to throw Eddie Murphy in there. Like there was a few people I was kind of rustling around with, but then I just figured it's simpler yeah. to do this. I went with the ultimate insult comedian, Don Rickles. That's a good list. So that's, yeah, it's, I mean, it's so tough. Yeah, and so it's, and it's, subje- it's nobody's right. It's what's your Mount Rushmore of something. That's right. why I kind of like, I think it's better to have that conversation than it is to be like top five comedians of all time. And we sit here and just argue about it. Like that's dumb. So just do your own Mount Rushmore. It's kind of easier and it, it creates more of, I think a conversation around it. Yeah. So, yeah, I gotcha. But uh, one more thing before we take a quick commercial break, but I, I was curious if you saw this because, and I don't know how much we really talk about this on the show. We might've mentioned it at some point. I mean, we're on 63 episodes and admittedly, I don't remember everything we've said on here, uh, but we're both pretty big fans of the show, the Simpsons. And uh, recently there's been a story uh, making the rounds about Matt Groening, the creator uh, saying he was proud of Apu and he's been making some ambitious plans um, so it was one of the characters that was kind of, uh, sidelined over criticism that the voice was, uh, by a white actor and was a harmful stereotype. Um, but there is a plan to kind of bring the character back. Um, they're working on something they said that's kind of ambitious, uh, but he wouldn't say much more than that. And, you know, I get that whole thing that they do with characters like that. But I also think that kind of sucks because I know that the way they originally made the Simpsons was 
you know, like uh, as an ensemble cast that can do all these different voices. And I think that Apu, although basically a stereotype, was a, a introduction to a lot of people of what somebody that in, who, who was legitimately Indian uh, would be like. Uh, I never thought it was a bad thing. Um, and, you know, uh, I'm curious to see what they're going to do. But I just was curious if you saw this story and what you thought about it. Yeah, I mean, we always say when it comes to things like that, it's always about intent. And there was no race, racism aspect or slant or anything. And, and I could see both sides of it, and I get it. And, you know, you're talking about, as we say, the, the Simpsons goes back to when we were in elementary school, yeah. pretty much even our old asses, uh, all the way back in 89 when we were 10 years old. So this has been around for a long time. Of course, things are going to change and evolve uh, with the fact that it's still – you know, putting out uh, consistent new content, new episodes to this day. Uh, so, so yeah, I mean, uh, I, I'm kind of for it because it's a positive thing. I agree with you. We, we've talked about that in the past where we don't like to mess with art. You know, art is art. And this is a thing that, that was established back in the late 80s, like we were just saying. But nonetheless, as I, I go straight to the source in situations like this as well. And as Mac Roning said, um, he, he added that while ending the use of white actors for non-white characters wasn't his idea, that he was fine with it. And he said, who can be against diversity? So it's great. However, I will just say that the actors were not hired to play specific characters stating kind of what we were mentioning. Yep. So, so that, yeah, that kind of sums it up. But uh, like you mentioned, when we bring things like this up in, in any sort of preview fashion, definitely curious to see uh, what route they go with Apu, especially uh, it got my curiosity peaked with him saying that they're working on something kind of ambitious and they can't really say. And I do still DVR and watch the current Simpson product. Yep. So I'll be checking it out. Same here. So you're here to that, the J. Uh, but we need oh, yeah. to take a quick commercial break. Uh, and whenever we come back, we're going to take a look at a brand new documentary from Salil Moonfry, a.k.a. the girl who played Punky Brewster. Uh, it's a documentary called Kid 90. It's really interesting. So stay tuned for that much more. We'll be back right after this on the What's Real podcast. Want to advertise on the What's Real podcast? Send us an email today. Just title your email ads at whatsrealpod at gmail.com. For cheap, easy, and affordable rates, contact us today. Again, that's whatsrealpod at gmail.com. Would you like to advertise? Send us an email today. This is Ed here for the What's Real Podcast. Don't forget to join us next week for episode 64, where me and the Jay are going to take a look at The Last Blockbuster, a brand new documentary on Netflix about the last remaining blockbuster store. Also, me and the Jay are going to go through our favorite WrestleMania matches of all time, five more great entries from me and the Jay from one of the greatest events in wrestling history. Also, on Thursday Night Prime, back in action with Roddy Piper and Billy Blanks. All this and more next week on episode 64 of the What's Real podcast. And we're back here on the show. And as I mentioned before we went to break, we're going to take a look at a brand new documentary. Uh, I believe this is on Hulu. Uh, it might be on some other formats as well, but I think I know it's on Hulu. Uh, documentary called Kid 90, uh, directed by Salil Moonfry. Uh, 
As a teenager in the 90s, Halil Moonfry carried a video camera everywhere she went. She documented hundreds of hours of footage and then locked it away for over 20 years. And she kind of is bringing it out uh, for the first time. And we see all kinds of people uh, show up in this one, such as David Arquette, Stephen Dorff, Balthazar Getty, Mark Paul Gosseler, Brian Austin Green, Tori Leonard, Heather McComb, and many, many more people. And uh, it's interesting at least for us because this is like part of our generation kind of a thing that's kind of what weirded me out about it and we've talked about this off air before there's another guy especially locally in pittsburgh called weird paul uh who has a youtube channel i definitely recommend it if you guys are into like oddball stuff it's pretty cool Uh, i love what paul does i think it's great uh but he documented a lot of his life with a video camera, kind of like what she did here in this documentary. And when we were talking about this originally, I remember even saying to you, like, I'm kind of jealous about that. Like we have some stuff that we did, but we don't have nearly as much as these people do. And uh, yeah, that kind of, I'm kind of jealous that I don't have that to like look back on, but I'm, I'm grateful for what I have though. As we always say too, that's a double-edged sword with us crazy asses, Mm -hmm. (laughs) even though we'll get into this. I mean, there's definitely some, some shit in this too, but no, I'm with you. I mean, that's, that's kind of how, I mean, you summed it up. That's kind of how I always looked at it. Uh, Sometimes I'm jealous. Sometimes I wish we had more, but we are very fortunate to have, um, you know, hours upon hours uh, of pretty cool stuff, uh, at least, Uh, you know, it's, as I always say, it's better than nothing, but, but yeah, not nothing to this or Paul's extent. That's for sure. Yeah, and uh, this is a pretty cool documentary, especially because as a little kid, I was a fan of Punky Brewster anyway. Uh, so it was kind of interesting as this is like an update on what she was up to. Um, I guess you could say that she led a fairly normal life outside of the fact that she had a ton of really famous friends uh, and just got to have some really cool experiences. And I'll talk about a little bit more of this stuff uh you know, as we move along here, there's one particular section of this that uh, I thought was incredible for my own personal reasons. But uh, it was kind of surprising <laughs> to see that, like, at one point she was friends with pretty much everybody that was a major young star in Hollywood for, like, you know, a bulk of, like, at least 20 years. That's what this kind of makes you realize, man. It, just, it seems like, I, again, it goes back to that perspective thing. Uh, like from guys like us that are in Pittsburgh that, that love a ton of stuff under the, you know, within the pop culture realm, nonetheless, but you kind of think of it and it just seems like Hollywood's like so big in a certain way. And my point to that is, you know, based off of what you were saying with this documentary, like at the outset is you kind of realize that it was, it's, it's a lot smaller yeah, than, yeah. Than, than you kind of think. And she, she mentions that right away. Like when they were coming up, like her and Brian Austin Green in particular, and even throw in Mark Paul Gossler, there was only a handful of these kind of kids, these yeah. kind of Hollywood kids, if you will. Yep. And, and that, that was a unique kind of perspective off the bat. And there was like other people kind of in and out of those groups of people too, that were like famous from other realms and already famous people that ju- they just knew like Charlie Sheen was in here. Like there's a bunch of other people throughout like yeah, DiCaprio pops yeah. up super quick. Yep. Cause it's, it all depends on the eras and this kind of goes through like the middle part of two eras. And I thought that part was really cool. Um, it's obviously it's like a, a coming of age thing for Solio Moonfry as well. So it's like a personal documentary with her stuff, but 
it also shows you more and more stuff about, you know, these other people. And I thought that part was really cool. It wasn't like, I, I guess I just didn't expect it to be quite what it was, but you know, it was definitely something that I was glad that I watched. It was definitely entertaining. Uh, it was a little too long in parts, I thought, but you know, overall, I thought this was really cool. It was definitely something I wasn't expecting at all. I got to say, cause it happened kind of at the beginning. I honest to God, cause a couple people that I talked to that, that caught this as well had like known this. I personally learned this straight from the documentary and it's not, it's not all funny. Like I have a daughter myself, but it, it can be humorous where the point that so Lil Moon Fry as Punky Brewster, when she hit puberty, she like hit puberty yeah. and grew natural yep. past double D breasts and became known, like, you know, a lot of people would make fun of her and call her, what was it, Punky Boobster? Yeah, I'm not going to lie. That shit had me dying. I was dying. Yeah. Like, I, you know, I see two sides of it. I want to be respectful, but on the other side, and, and of course, I'm sure she's laughing about it now. And, and she did a great thing, you know, back before, uh, you know, she was kind of trailblazing with that as being in the Hollywood spotlight, talking to young women and teenagers about her decision to have breast reduction surgery and putting light on that and things like that. Cause back in the nineties, you know, again, I didn't catch this at the time. I'm sure teenage, the J would be like, you know, what breast reduction yes. surgery? <laughs> like, you know, why are you doing that? Like I was a boob guy, but, uh, but yeah, I, again, I just wasn't familiar with that. And that kind of came out of nowhere, like at, at the outset where uh, for those that don't know that are listening uh, again, she, she really developed quickly in puberty and grew these huge boobs and it really affected the way she was treated, of course, and things like that. And it really had a, a serious effect on her psyche to the point of considering, again, especially at the time of it, a very serious surgery at a very young age with breast reduction surgery. Yeah. And of course, too, there's other stuff in here where they talk about like, you know, drug use and things like that. They also talk about, you know, a lot of the child stars that are no longer here. Uh, which is pretty rough stuff. Like that's the part of this that's, you know, really sad. Uh, but of course that's goes hand in hand with pretty much anybody uh, that you knew from when you were younger. I'm sure that's, you know, the case for most of us, unfortunately. Yeah, and um, amped up within being a young Hollywood star too. I'm sure, you know, what that can do on a young psyche. Cause I, I remember in particular, it goes right in with the podcast as usual last week covering in Thursday night prime, a Chuck Norris film, but Jonathan Brandis, yep. who was in a, a movie I liked as a kid called sidekicks where he did a, a film with Chuck Norris and uh, would end up committing suicide, which was really sad to relive. Yeah. And it, it kind of gives you a glimpse into that stuff as well as, you know, a glimpse into just what it's like to be a child star, at least, you know, as much as they could give you in this type of documentary, but it gives you an idea nonetheless. And uh, also, too, for me, I'm a huge fan of the movie Kids. Uh, it's one of my favorite movies ever. Um, I think it's brilliant. And uh, she actually lived with some of the stars uh, in the movie, some of the skateboarders, people like Harold Hunter, and uh, of course, Justin Pierce, who most people remember as Casper. Uh, he's also in uh, Next Friday, uh, but he also uh, committed suicide. Committed suicide, uh, yep. And dude had a rough life and shit. And I, I've been familiar with his work for, you know, a long, probably since kids, to be honest with you. Um, but, like, it's it's kind of a shame and kind of a sad story, too. But, like, that was also really cool to see a lot of this footage. Uh, that I'd never seen before. So it's just pretty amazing. I think most people will get to the point when they watch this at about halfway through, you're going to be amazed at like the kind of circle she ran in just completely randomly too. a lot of it. Uh, 
but it just things work out that way. And uh, she's definitely had an interesting life. I'll say that much. Well, that's the thing. I, I, I watched it prior to you. It, I, I had heard snippets of it, was interested in it. And it just, you know, that's why I love nowadays being somebody with as many pop culture interests and film and TV shows that we watch and everything. So like, these things just pop up out of nowhere half the time, you know, yeah. <laughs> even when they're announced, like you'll forget about them because there's just so much stuff. So it just popped up and I checked it out. And then when I saw the kids thing, because of how well I know you, I'm like, Ed, Ed would love this for that aspect. Cause it almost reminded me of like a real life sitcom aspect, almost like in Jared's word head, where it'd be like Scooby-Doo with special guest kiss. Yeah. Like one of those odd pairings. I'm like watching this documentary and she's like, yeah, at this point in my life, I had to get away from LA and Hollywood. I made the decision to attend uh, school in New York. And now I'm hanging out with the, the cast of kids. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just like, what? like what the hell? And this is real life. And just a quick ironic tidbit uh, for myself. I, I love this show called Banshee that was actually kind of filmed there. Pittsburgh came out a while ago on Cinemax and, and just popped back up on HBO Max. I was telling you a little bit about of it, but uh, just the irony of, of rewatching that with my wife currently, Leo Fitzpatrick, who plays Telly uh, kids uh, is in that a little bit, does like a you know small part on a few episodes. So another weird coincidence rolling currently, but, but yeah, that kids aspect I thought uh, was hilarious and I knew you'd get a kick out of that. Yeah. That was a really cool aspect to this. Um, but you know, this was really cool. Uh, it, it says it only runs at 71 minutes, which is weird because it feels, I'd think significantly longer than that. Uh, but you know, it was definitely worth watching. Um, I definitely recommend it. Uh, and as you guys know, here on the show, we do a five-star rating scale for our movies. Uh, and I'm going to go with three and a half for this one. I definitely thought it was good. Uh, glad that I checked it out. And I definitely recommend it for the most part. As we do here on the show, hey, Ed, the Jay shouting out, the taglines, Kid 90, the celebrities you thought you knew, the videos you've never seen. So nice tagline there. It goes with the film. Agreed. Unlike many that we, we read. And uh, again, I'm concurring with you. Hey, yeah, we've been on the same page as we are a lot. I give this one three and a half. Really interesting, especially if you're around our age and uh, watched a lot of the projects that many of these people were involved in. Uh, again, it's just personal videos. I mean, there's there's really cool footage of them just like going to the beach and amusement park yeah. and things like that. Like, I can't think of his, his name offhand, but Eric from uh, Entourage. And, oh, like, there's just Kevin, ton, Kevin tons Conley, of people. yeah. Kevin Conley, shout him out. Tons of people pop up in this. And, and she actually did a pretty respectful take uh, on her relationship with Charlie Sheen, too. And he even responded in media after the release of, of Kid 90 that, you know, he appreciated the the way that she she kind of shouted him out with their their brief relationship during that time and things like Dude, that. Dude, and so. she probably had a lot of really shitty footage of people that she could have used. And that, that's not really yeah, what she exactly. did here. So I definitely at least appreciate that, too. It wasn't quite what I expected it to be in that regard. Not like I was expecting it to be some fucking hit piece on people. But, you know, I thought it was pretty well done. Uh, I enjoyed it. And uh, again, you can check that out right now on Hulu.com if you guys want to check it out. Uh, I'd say it's worth the try. Uh, I think the J would too. So uh, yeah. we're going to take a quick commercial break. And then we have a double dose of wrestling for you guys this week. Uh, first up is going to be WrestleMania's uh, fa our favorite matches in WrestleMania history. And of course, after that, we're going to have a preview or not a preview, a review of fast lane. So stay. Yeah. The preview turned into a review. Exactly. It's like magic around here. So uh, <laughs> stay tuned guys. We'll be back right after this on the what's real podcast. Hey everyone, it's the J from the What's Real Podcast, here today to talk about churchillpictures.com. 
Churchill Pictures was founded by two childhood friends that grew up in Churchill Borough, just outside of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Jared Bajoris and Damian Fusca began collaborating on their first feature film in 2007, Deference, winner of the Silver Ace Award at the Las Vegas Film Festival in 2012. Go to churchillpictures.com to check out our original trailers, documentaries, comedy sketches, the entire history of the infamous Backyard Wrestling League, UCW, exclusive independent wrestling content, and exclusive videos showcasing our next huge film project entitled The Marks. This includes an appearance from our character, the feature presentation, Johnny Starr, on the streaming talk show, Alone Together Pittsburgh. We are Churchill Pictures. Established from the bond of two childhood friends, we envision creating visual content that is completely original, thought-provoking, and most importantly, entertaining. Churchill Pictures. Picture the possibilities. Go to churchillpictures.com today. And we're back, and it's time to do uh, another week here, uh, week number three, if you will, of uh, our favorite WrestleMania matches of all time. We're just kind of taking a random look back at uh, some of the best matches in WrestleMania history here with me and the J. Each week, we've been both picking five matches. We're trying not to double up on each other's choices. Uh, there's a lot of agreement going around, not too much disagreement so far. Uh, and which is easy, but I think it might change here uh, in these next couple of weeks because we're going to get down to the nitty gritty, uh, so to speak. So the J, uh, let's start it up again. What's your first one this week amongst your favorite WrestleMania matches of all time? All right, still st- staying somewhat chronological from where we left off for the J. Hey, and I realized looking looking back there from both of our picks. Uh, shockingly, no taker matches yet. The the man with the streak. Oh, that's gonna change. So yeah, it is, and I'm I'm starting it. Uh, one of, one of the top WrestleManias, as we both mentioned, I'm going to WrestleMania 17 in the Astrodome. Triple H first taker for the first time, as far as you know, a big feud match on on the big show WrestleMania 17. Taker versus Triple H. Okay, that's actually a good choice. Um. I remember too. Remember that was like just a random kind of thrown in match that year. Uh, and it ended up just being really good. Yeah. And I like the build up. That's the one, the image that sticks to me is triple H attack taker in the back leading up to it, you know, weeks before on a raw or SmackDown and put a chair, a steel chair in sitting position and put like the bottom portion on takers throat and sat on the chair, like backwards. and was yep. like talking shit on him for this feud. And I just, uh, you, you know, that's, um, just ingrained in my my head about that feud and the build up to it, but the build up was all right. Yeah, it was kind of somewhat thrown together, but that was back when they were doing uh, what we called biker taker or American badass taker and, yep. and stuff, which which made for a great entrance at the time coming into his home state of Texas on the motorcycle, the super long ramp in the Astrodome and things like that. And this is one where they wrestled ever uh, everywhere, all over the place in the stadium, and they ended up on the scaffolding. Uh, and did some spots on the scaffolding, which sticks out. Of course, they did the usual WWE, um, you know, I don't know what you call that, stunt mattress kind of thing. Hey, Ed, where oh, yeah, tri- yeah. Triple H got choke slammed off on it. But still like a cool the, visual. The bags, the stunt well, it was, bags. It was cool. That one was cool, though, because he just disappeared. They didn't even show his landing. Like, you know, so it kind of helped it because you didn't have, like, the bag image kind of thing. So 
So yeah, I wanted to get Taker on here with that match, and that always stuck out, like I mentioned, on a super popular for the J-specific Mania with Mania 17, and, and that being like their first really big matchup on the big stage. That was a solid one. Yeah, no complaints there. Uh, WrestleMania 17, by the way, one of the best ones of all time, uh, match quality-wise. Uh, you really can't go wrong with that one. There's a ton of good stuff on that show. Uh, and it's funny that you mentioned Taker the J, because my first one this week is going to also be an Undertaker match, and it's going to be a year later. And this is Undertaker versus Flair. Dude, this match is shockingly good. Surprising. Uh, yeah, it's just one of those matches, too, like Flair always mentions, like during those time periods where his confidence was, was completely in the shitter. And uh, it didn't matter, man, because they did a great job uh, just a year later, man. This is when Taker was really in like the midst of the streak. Like he was having really good matches like that was starting to be, you know, like that whole, uh, I guess you would say, like, you know. Consistent year to year good match thing that Undertaker had probably started around that time. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that's like you you alluded to, hey, that's the great part is the behind the story, scene story that all these years later we've heard a few times uh, from various sources, including Flair and Taker themselves, where, as you mentioned, Flair's confidence wasn't there. He was kind of starting to flounder in that current WWE product as an older wrestler who still didn't want to retire. Vince McMahon even didn't have the biggest confidence in him because that's the story Taker tells where it was Taker's choice basically at that time. And I think for a while there with, with he and Vince's relationship for him to handpick his opponents, especially for mania. And I guess Vince McMahon threw a few ideas at him, none of which were Ric Flair and Taker said, I want to work with Flair. And Vince said, are you sure about that? And, and Taker said, I want to work with Ric Flair. And that's kind of yep. how this was put together. And as you mentioned, hey, Ed, it turned out to be like a hell of a match. You know, Flair, uh, of course, blading at that time, uh, always amps up a, a big match like this. And uh, yeah, he just went all out. And Flair will tell you that Taker helped him get his confidence back at that time uh, where he was really struggling with it. Yeah, and it was kind of, you know, one of those matches too where like flair didn't win the match but he definitely uh like you that's the thing that's great about flair like he can have entertaining matches on almost any level and there were certain guys that could bring really really good performances out of them and i just thought that this was one of those uh and a great job done by taker too because at this point taker was firing on all cylinders and it's as you mentioned the uh the biker taker if you will probably still believe it or not my favorite incarnation of the undertaker so there it is. Uh, the J, what do you got for number two this week? Okay, so moving kind of forward here chronologically, hey, you know, and my next matchup is going to be another pick. Uh, this, I believe, is my second personal pick with, uh, or it's, it's going to be my third, my trifecta of HBK, one of my favorite, if not favorite wrestler of all time, as I always say on the podcast, Shawn Michaels in Seattle at WrestleMania 19 when he took on Chris Jericho. Again, another first-time matchup where later on down the road they'll they'll feud and put together some other great matches, but pretty much the first big stage matchup between HBK and Chris Jericho in Seattle. Yeah, that's a really good match too. Um, and I remember watching that live on pay-per-view at the time, and I didn't really care for it. Uh, but yeah, watching it back many, many years later, it's really good. Um, I like that match a lot. And, uh, you know, that's also too uh, something that we mentioned, you know, we mentioned that like how Taker didn't really make a whole lot of appearances on our lists. 
And uh, HBK hasn't made too many appearances, but just like Taker, that's going to change here in the upcoming weeks, guaranteed. Um, Because, you know, they don't don't call him Mr. Mr. WrestleMania for for no reason. And that's if you remember, that was his law injury years first mania back. You know, he came back at the the SummerSlam prior. So that was almost, you know, roughly close to you know over six months. We'll say that. Uh, pre- previous that SummerSlam match uh, comeback match against Triple H in the street fight. And this was his first big WrestleMania comeback all the way since WrestleMania 14 when he was seriously hurt and dropped the belt to Austin and started the Austin era. Yeah. So it's a, it's also a pretty memorable time in wrestling too. So that also helps. It's crazy when you look back on that time period, it's just the, the amount of guys that they had all at the same time. Uh, it's pretty crazy just to think about it because that's when they were still loaded up with talent. And I mean, like top level talent. So, and dude, just the, the fact that HBK and Jericho at WrestleMania wasn't even sniffing a main event at the time is pretty crazy to think about. Exactly. Yep. And uh, for my next one this week, I'm going to serve this time around, I should say, uh, is the same WrestleMania. And it happens to be the match that actually main evented that WrestleMania. I'm going to go with Kurt Angle versus Brock Lesnar for the undisputed WWE championship uh, where Brock famously flubbed the shooting star press. Uh, But even with that, man, that match is really nuts uh, with those two dudes. Uh, Jericho, or I should say uh, Angle at the time was still Angle might have been the best guy in the world at the time. And, I uh, remember Brock, we were going ooh. crazy for the build-up. We were so yeah, ready for that match. And, dude, this is weird because I happened to go to the last SmackDown before this WrestleMania, uh, and Brock and Angle had a match, and everybody thought that the title was going to change because everybody thought that Angle was hurt at the time, which he was, but he managed to get through WrestleMania. We didn't know that. Uh, but what they did, they did, like, this switcheroo-angle thing with uh, – Angle's brother uh, with him and Brock. Yeah, I remember that match. So like we were so like we thought for sure Brock was going to win the match uh, because they were going to change it, uh, but they didn't. So kudos to Angle for that. But yeah, man, Brock and Angle at WrestleMania 19, fucking ridiculous match. Yeah, because that's one of those matches that is so hyped up where they were at, at that timing, the timing aligned, you know, both like you, you said in their primes, even though angle was hurt, he was still cleared to go and could go. So like, consider that angle and Brock both in their primes going at it with that kind of hype and that kind of, you know, pre-match just, you know, expectation. I remember our expectations. That's what I was saying earlier. Like we were so pumped for this, but the expectations high, and they they more than delivered. Uh, that's the match I still go back and rewatch. And you know that became a big controversy. It's just one of those classic WWE things where the we always say the sport mixes with the entertainment. And he definitely flubbed that shooting star that he had practiced and completed numerous times in the past, which is why he he obviously did that. And Jim Cornette of all people, we should tell that story that we know because uh, we were talking about Jim Cornette a little bit last week, where he he was supposedly the one that talked Brock into doing the shooting star, which, you know, would be contradictory if anybody knows Jim Cornette's typical professional wrestling psychology. 
He's not really a guy that thinks uh, a, a guy of Brock Lesnar's stature and build would be should be doing top rope moves like that. But I think his point was obvious that it's on the big stage at the main event. If you're ever going to do this athletic feat that you're capable of, that's the time and place. And of course, he ended up flubbing it, which of course isn't Jim Cornette's fault, but a cool little side story there too. Yeah, it's pretty funny actually, especially when you think of it's the one time ever that Jim Cornette advocated for anyone doing a shooting star press. He almost dies. Of, yeah, that happened <laughs> to be Brock when he almost kills himself. So uh, that's pretty crazy. Uh, so what do we got next up, the J? So next up, I'll disclaimer that was another uh, audible of the weeks, as we have said, we're having our audibles ready because we don't want to talk about the same match or lose a slot. But this week I also had Angle Lesnar. Hey, so I'm calling an audible. Um, this one could be an argument. I don't know how you'll feel about this being on the list uh, with this particular guy being involved in this match, but I'm putting it on there. It's okay. the same mania. So the timing's right for it. Okay. And that was actually Vince McMahon versus Hulk Hogan at WrestleMania 19. Dude, that is one of the better Vince matches, I think. Uh, I remember just th- not knowing what to expect and just being blown away by it. Yeah, I mean, they they literally go out there and beat the shit out of each other. Yeah, so. that's what Vince did, and you got to give him credit for it. Shane and Vince, they have their own styles. A lot of people aren't into it. Uh, many people are just for the, the kind of spectacle matches. And and like you said, man, he just takes big bumps. And, you know, because the other side of it, too, is and it's not ripping on either goof. They could do whatever they want. They're the McMahons, and I don't blame them. If they're going to do a match, go balls out. But, you know, when you're only wrestling once a year, once every few years, you can go balls out in a big stage match like this. And that's what Vince always did. Yeah. Uh, so I was all for that at, during that time. And I usually don't like the, uh, you know, the non wrestlers wrestling, especially at WrestleMania. Uh, but Vince was doing it at that point. So no complaints, man. He had a good match at that point with Hulk Hogan, which says a lot about Vince. Who would have thought? Exactly. So yeah. Who that's thought? how I looked at it. Uh, next up for me, I'm going to go one year later to WrestleMania 20. Uh, and I'm going to go with Eddie versus Kurt Angle. Um, dude, Angle was a fucking machine for years. And it just so happened that uh, he faced off with Eddie for the belt at WrestleMania. This is a, something that I like to kind of remember, too. Eddie's a dude that actually had a legitimate title defense at WrestleMania. Like, he didn't lose his belt. Like, it was built up for Angle to beat him, and Angle didn't. And I love that finish, too. He did the lie, cheat, steal gimmick where, you know, he was fucking with his boot for, like, you know, after, like, three quarters of the match towards the finish. And then, of course, Angle goes for the the ankle lock, and Eddie slips out of the boot for the finish. So that, that was Dude, great. Great storytelling. I love that feud. I love that feud. Like... Two of the best in-ring wrestlers of all time. Yeah, and especially in a period, too, where, you know, like, Angle was right there with anybody as the best in the world. And Eddie was, too. Eddie's right Um, there. And and also, Eddie was kind of hitting his stride with his character. And that was really cool. Um, You know, dude, it, it sucks because, like, you know, obviously that era of Angle is great. Uh, but man, I fucking miss Eddie. He, Eddie was so, so fucking good, man. And I got to say here, hey, uh, just from the perspective factor thing, at the time, you know, speaking of uh, kind of what I was alluding to during the Angle-Lesnar match breakdown, 
my expectations at the time as a fan were so high for this match. Yeah. I remember not being fully disappointed by any stretch, but not being as big on it as maybe you, you thought I would be put it that way. But then that's another one, man, years later, like I I've watched it not ridiculously long ago, maybe at uh, last year's WrestleMania season, busting out a bunch, bunch of matches. Like we talked about, we do I uh, probably watched it last year and uh, it just stands out as just being amazing. Like it's grown on me over the years. I think the expectations at the time were just too high as a young fan. And, and now going back on it, it's an utter classic for sure. Dude, do you realize how much we would hate wrestling now if our expectations <laughs> yeah. were the way that they used to be? Oh, oh it, shit. Yeah. Like, oh my God. It would be we've, like We've learned how to adapt to those expectations <laughs> yeah. with the Well, it's product. it's a adapt or die, brother. Like, you're not watching exactly. this shit you're anymore. You're not watching. If, yeah, just yeah. don't watch. Uh, so, yeah. So, what do you got up uh, for your fourth choice this week, Jay? Skipping a tiny bit ahead of you, hate yacht, and sticking with um, these classic matchups, our hometown boy Angle. So that works out that you just shouted out Angle Eddie. So let's go to another great matchup, which may arguably be the only one that you could think of that might be better than him and Eddie, and that's WrestleMania 21 Angle versus HBK. I knew you were going to pick this match, and it's on my list too, so I'm definitely not complaining. Um this is really one of the best WrestleMania matches of all time. And for some reason, people don't really talk about this one. I mean, I know that Michaels has had a plethora of great matches at WrestleMania. We've already kind of talked about a few of them, um, but this definitely belongs on any list uh, as far as greatest WrestleMania matches of all time, because angle was still working at a great level. And so is HBK. And it's not really a surprise that they matched up well. We were kind of, this is another one that we had high expectations going into, but it just lived up to them. It did. Yeah, this one actually did. That's a great call. And and again, I'd reiterate, not that Eddie and Angle didn't. I'm just being completely transparent. I remember having that one to grow on me a tiny bit. This one off the bat, I was just like, yeah, there's not much more they could do. You know, that classic, of course, Shawn Michaels, Asai Moonsault, solid off the middle rope and angle moves and, you know, crash and burn. One of the first times he did that. And we could go on and on, man, but it was just nonstop the whole time. They're just storytelling. And that, that just turns professional wrestling into a pure art form. Matches like that. Totally agree. And uh, my choice, my next one, uh, is it the same WrestleMania? Uh, and it's the money in the bank ladder match. Between and I believe this was the first time this was ever done at WrestleMania, uh, where Edge would go on to defeat Chris Benoit, Chris Jericho, Christian Kane, and Shelton Benjamin. Uh, man, this match is a lot of fun. Uh, I don't know the last time you went back and watched this match. No, I, I wanted but, to get a Money in the Bank on here, so that's that's great because I haven't chosen one yet, and I don't know if I will down to one week. Uh, but yeah, great call. And that this one in particular, uh, I love that you brought it up because, you know, what, as we do this list, as I mentioned, you know, I, I watch a lot of various mania matches, use the network as a tool to my advantage, kind of just time travel and bounce around and doing the podcast week to week, definitely helping my choices. So that's another one that will be in my bank here uh, to revisit, uh, pun intended, hate you. All right, man. And your last choice this week, which one do you got? So we're doing best of all time, man. So again, I'm sticking to one of my favorite wrestlers, HBK. So uh, you nailed it earlier. He wasn't on it too much. I had him on three times now, just like that. I think with you mentioning him him another time, this is going to be just like that six times. (laughs) Michael's on our (laughs) list, just like that. And that's the classic matchup. 
of HBK versus Flair at WrestleMania 24 is my last for the week. Yeah. Retirement match. How can you not put that match on there? It's one of the greatest WrestleMania story matches. Storytelling is is what this was because Flair way past his prime. Uh, but of course, Michaels, as they say, could wrestle a broomstick and, and make it look great uh, with the storytelling they did with Flair, even at his age. And he, he did his part in that. Give Flair credit for his age and still being able to perform in any capacity, let alone in a humongous WrestleMania match against Mr. WrestleMania himself and pull it off. Yeah, it's not an easy feat uh, because, you know, Flair had a lot to live up to in that match. And to me, he was able to pull it off. It was really cool. Just a really great story and culmination for Flair's in-ring career in the WWE. And uh, a great moment for Michaels, too. They've done so much stuff on it already because it's already been that type of moment. So uh, great choice there, the Jay. So, yeah, I would have put that on mine as well. And uh, it's kind of funny. I'm surprised you skipped over this, the Jay. So I'll do it for you. Uh, Here we go. Yeah, cool. WrestleMania 23 and the uh, I'll I'll say this uh, your boy HBK had a damn good match that year against John Cena and it's crazy to think this the match they have on Raw the next night is better that's what threw me off on that I swear to God that was definitely a thought but the WrestleMania match is really really good good. yeah so I mean We we talked about how how we look at Cena where they're, you know, we fully admit, I mean, pretty much any, any professional wrestler, if you're a lifelong fan and at our age, there's going to be times where the person gets stale, no matter who it is. Like I mentioned, Shawn Michaels, pretty much my favorite wrestler of all time. There was times where I wasn't that big on him. And and that was definitely how we looked at Cena, especially considering the consistency and the buildup of consistent years that he was in, in the top. But again, and you always, I credit you for this. Hey, Ed, you always said it. We're going to miss Cena when he's gone, and that's the case. And this is just another uh, complete proof of what he was capable of, Shawn Michaels or not. It was a, an epic match. Yeah, I mean, they had a great feud. Uh, it's, Dude, that's the thing that's I think people missed at the time with Cena. Like, they thought Cena was too, like, generic. But with that, um, he can almost be anything. So he can work with Edge. He can work with Shawn Michaels. He can work with Umaga. He could work with Randy Orton. He could work with Batista. He could work with Triple H. He could work with The Undertaker. He could work with The Rock. Like he works with everyone. It just works with him. Uh, he's not too small, too big, too fat, too tall, too whatever. Like it, it he's fine. He fits in where he needs to fit in. Um, so I think that works. And of course, HBK at WrestleMania, like we said, this is like the Mr. WrestleMania show this week here. Um, but you can't, you <laughs> can't talk. Be. Well, you can't talk about the greatest WrestleMania matches of all time without Shawn Michaels and a lot of him. And the other half of our list was a lot of taker. And then you sprinkle in a little flair, a little bit of Cena. Like, exactly. Angle. That, yeah. And angle, of course, like Eddie Guerrero, like those are the dudes that, that make this event what it, is now without a doubt like all those years of wrestlemania have led us up to where we're at today and it's the legacy of wrestlemania these guys are a major major part of that yeah good calls hey um adding all these to the jay's network playlist during mania season absolutely man so hope you guys have been enjoying this that's it for our favorite wrestlemania matches this week we have one more week of this stuff for you guys so if you're enjoying it 
uh, great. If you're not, then boy, it sucks to be you because <laughs> this is a month of this stuff. And so. then, and then it goes right into the preview and then actual review of this year's mania. So exactly. We know what we're doing here at what's real. Yep. For the most part, anyway, Sometimes. Uh, but we're going to take a quick commercial break and we come back. We're going to be talking some fast lane, the last WWE pay-per-view before WrestleMania. So stay tuned guys. We'll be back right after this right here on the what's real podcast. Cut and Run Studios is a multimedia facility that specializes in video production and photography. In the internet era, visual communication is the most powerful tool for storytelling. We believe it is our job to deliver the most compelling visual interpretation of a message and provide all the necessary capabilities in-house so that we can cover every angle of your story. Our production facility is at 1532 Beachview Avenue, Pittsburgh, PA, 15216. Check us out at cutandrunstudios.com. And we're back here on the show. And as I mentioned earlier, it's time to take a look at WWE's Fastlane 2021 pay-per-view. Happened live Sunday, March 21st at St. Petersburg, Florida's Tropicana Field. Uh, Their last show, uh, or their last pay-per-view, I should say. Uh, From this point forward, they're going to be moving on. We'll talk about that, I'm sure. Uh, But let's get into the show. Uh, already we kind of skip over this most pay-per-views. I'm going to do that again. Uh, but there was a WWE United States championship match on the pre-show, which saw Riddle defeat Mustafa Ali, uh, in nine minutes and 16 seconds, uh, getting some more title defenses under his belt there for Riddle. And uh, I don't think either one of us would be surprised that Riddle won that match. The only thing I'll bring up here, Hey, uh, is just to get your feedback. How do you feel about Riddle's current character slash gimmick, if you will, I guess just character modern age is not really gimmicks i guess but anyway like how because you know watching raw this past monday and different things i'm catching not the standout best but he does get me lol in here and there he's just a goof and uh they're kind of going with his like laid back california kind of thing he does good with it but it's bad like it's not good material you know what i mean yeah like like he has that uh little scooter yeah like that shit's weird to me for whatever reason it's just like Dude, you got a legit bad motherfucker, like, and he's just presented as kind of like a dopey dude. Um, I don't care. It doesn't bother me because they still give him wins. Like, he still looks See, good. that's that's my take. If they do it right, which putting it in our pro wrestling talk ether, as we always say, now they'll never do it. But yeah, of course. It, it'd be cool if they, like, build him up like that. Like, he's just this laid back goof. And then it completely, especially after the right amount of time. And if the timing's right, the opponent's right they build up bringing the badass out of them from being just the, the laid back, you know, goof. which very well might be the plan. I mean, we'll have to so see. I'm hoping. We'll see. Uh, I'm, I'm hoping for it too. I kind of agree with you too. Cause I think it just, there's more money involved and that's, what's going to get him to the main event level. Like if he stays on a comedy level, he's probably going to stay where he's at. Right. So, Uh, The first match of the pay-per-view was for the WWE Women's Tag Team Championship. It was a nine-minute and 45-minute match that saw Nia Jax and Shayna Baszler defend their Women's Tag Championships successfully against Bianca Belair and Sasha Banks. 
not a big surprise. I mean, that's kind of what you would expect too, because you already knew that Bianca and Sasha were fighting for the women's title at WrestleMania. And this is just to kind of build up the storyline uh, for that. The match was okay. It was just a generic kind of a television match for me. Um, but, you know, I wasn't expecting a whole lot out of this one anyway. I was a little surprised, though, that it, it opened the pay-per-view. I don't use the word hate a lot. Hey, Ed, you know that, especially talking about people. But I hate Reginald, the the character, he, not the performer. <laughs> dude, I th- but here's the thing. I agree with you, and that's kind Maybe of... Maybe he's doing his him, job. Yeah, But he's really good. Like, have yeah. you ever seen him wrestle or do anything? Like, the no, I mean, I've just super- seen the handful of stuff that he does the run-ins so far. They have him wrestle with the women and shit. <laughs> and he's super, super athletic. Like... Dude can do crazy shit. Like I was watching Raw this week, and for no reason, he just did like cartwheels and backflips to the ring, uh, okay. all the way down the aisle. I'm like, Jesus Christ! And this well, dude's he's, doing he's, it in like uh, he's dress shoes and day. a suit. Yeah, as a so. Hero. But yeah, yeah I, I don't, I, I don't know yeah. what the deal is with him, but there's something there. I don't. I guess I kind of see why they're putting this dude on TV because I think there's going to eventually be something else to it. But yeah, there we'll should be a see. reason. But yeah, I was think so. Solid action, and the end just was a mess. You know, that's why I kind of brought that up. Like Reginald distracting the ref and the the four fifty terrible kind of finish. Thing. I mean, that was amazing that Bianca does a you know, sweet ass four fifty. Dude, her and Sasha at WrestleMania is that's be that's the that's the other thing I, I was going to build up with this. I I just like the fact that it's just a slam dunk build. You know towards storyline wise, Sasha and Bianca. And I don't know if you caught online while we're here, Hayad, um, specifically people on Twitter, uh, social media, were kind of, uh, you know, petitioning, if you will, uh, Bel Air and Sasha Banks match main eventing one of the nights, you know, pr- probably like the first night as the main event for the belt. I wouldn't argue with that. I wouldn't, I really I didn't wouldn't think of it, I, but you know, wouldn't, I wouldn't have a problem with it. Yeah, I mean, I think that they could put on that kind of a match, especially. And, dude, I'd kind of be for that because if they give them the main event, that means they're going to get the time to have the kind of match I want right, to see them because that, that would be the thing if they get the right time yeah. and that sort of thing. So, And and that's funny, kind of speaking of that, the next matchup we had on the show was the WWE Intercontinental Championship match. It went five minutes and 45 seconds, and we saw Big E defeat Apollo Crews in his new gimmick that he has going on. And, dude, I really like this feud. It's one of the few things on TV that they've been doing consistently now for a few weeks that I really enjoy. I like Apollo Crews and the new character. Um, th- there was something weird about this finish. I don't know if there was like, you know, a mistake or something like that. Like, I think Big E was supposed to win the match, but I don't think yeah, he the was ref, supposed to win it. I think the ref messed quick. up. Yeah. Uh, something happened there, but uh, it was not really anything special, but it didn't matter anyway, because their feud kind of seems to continue. Yeah. I like it. I mean, he did those uh, huge splashes on the apron. That was yeah. really good, really good sells from Apollo. Uh, you know, I mean, Biggie's just a, he's another one of those freak athletes within the WWE we talk about for his size. Yeah, dude's really, I like Biggie a lot. Ridiculous. So, so yeah, a lot of potential for a, a singles run here, intercontinental, you know what that means. They're, they're pushing them. If everything works out towards the main event picture, which I think he deserves and can definitely Same. handle. So and, Dude, you know, it could be I, interesting to see what Apollo does. I think Big E would be one of the perfect dudes to be the dude that finally like shuts Roman the fuck up. Kind of yeah. Thing. That'd be you cool. Know, I, I just think that'd be a good choice for that. That's just me. Um, next up, we saw a match that wasn't even supposed to be on the pay-per-view as we've had this stupid buildup, which is kind of a pun, I guess, 
uh, between Bru- uh, Braun Strowman and Shane McMahon. Well, in the middle of this, uh, Shane kind of says, Elias, you're going to take my place. So Elias did, and he lost to, to Braun in about three minutes and 50 seconds. Yeah, less than four probably, minutes. Yeah, we probably less to be said the better as far as that <laughs> yeah, goes. Moving on. Uh, next up, though, was a match that I knew was happening, and I wasn't thinking about it much, but we got a 12-minute and 55-second matchup here, which we saw Seth Rollins defeat Shinsuke Nakamura, and which I thought was really good in, you know, 13 minutes. It was good. Um, I like Seth Rollins and his current incarnation of, like, this dickhead heel on uh, on SmackDown, and I'm not complaining if that means he's getting locked into matches and shit with Nakamura, because at least we're seeing him doing something a little bit different. Yeah, and this is one that has potential if they build it right, obviously, and, and get time on a big show, which I guess this was, but without the time, you know, n- nothing bad, you know, and th- within this card around the 13 minute mark w- was solid for this. And I liked where it was at. I, I liked the action, but this, this has potential, of course, with Seth Rollins and Shinsuke to be, they could really tear the house down in the right, you know, the whole right atmosphere. And I think this match is kind of proof because they did a really good job in a little under 13 minutes. So I'd love to see what they could do with a good 20 or 25. Yeah, uh, I was engaged. I, yeah, they're, they both work very well together. Their chemistry is pretty good, so I'm not complaining. In uh, our next matchup, I guess, uh, I would have said uh, is because of good chemistry. We saw a really good matchup, and I'm talking about the no-holds-barred match, which, which saw Drew McIntyre defeat Sheamus in 19 minutes and 40 seconds. Uh, these two work together very well, uh, which we've already known. But uh, I've mentioned this to you, the Jay, and I can't believe I'm saying this because I've never at all been a fan of the dude. But I think Sheamus is really working at an insanely high level. And he's been on fire for like the last month. This dude's wrestling out of his mind. To credit where credit's due thing, hey, Ed, and you know, that you notice things like that. And he's really stepping it up. I mentioned to you, I'm like, you know, is he getting ready to retire or something? He's like, I'm just going to go balls out for the next year and then you never know. Hang up the boots. Who, who knows? But nonetheless, I mean, Seamus, we, we said, like like you mentioned, you're not big on him. I, I think in ring wise, he always has potential, though. He's one of those guys that out of nowhere, you know, we talked about that, you know, a few months back with Jeff Hardy. Yeah. There's, there's some. You know, just again, it depends on what WWE's you know doing with them storyline and time wise. But every once in a while, a, a ridiculous match will pop up out of nowhere, like like with Jeff Hardy and, and like here, him him and Drew McIntyre, as we always state, being in the know as we know, being personal friends for all these years can really lay it into each other. They did some sick spots. I mean, you could see that's the thing about Sheamus too, with that milky white skin hail. You can see like <laughs> every freaking mark on him, and it just and makes they, it look and, that much better, you know. And those marks were still on him the next night on Raw, so yeah, like they were laying, definitely laying into each other. Yeah. And and it was cool what they did. I I didn't know if you you noticed this. Maybe I was overthinking. I honestly ha- didn't see anything on on um, wrestling Twitter or anything like that. I was just thinking it in the buildup to bring up to you. But at one point they're, they're wrestling in the stands and things like that. And of course it's just screens of, of fans and people. And at one point uh, McIntyre hits Seamus and he flies out of nowhere. And there's like this explosion. Cause he goes in like electrical equipment and it was yeah. a really cool spot. But do you think that was like a little, you know, like let's show AEW what we could do. Cause it was definitely a better little, explosion not a big you know fucking anything promoted you know like an exploding death match but i i didn't know i mean probably not but i thought of that 
No, I mean, I don't think so. But at the same time, like WWE is quick to flex their production muscle. That's what I which, mean. That's what they think. Yeah. Dude, it's crazy to think about this through all these years. Like there's been other companies that have competed with them with product and, you know, like better wrestling and things like that. But like no one, not a single company, not once since 1985 has come along that has done the production side of things better than them. That's Vince, no Vince's specialty, ultimate promoter. That's crazy to think about, but it's absolutely true. I agree, yeah. And that kind of leads us into the next match here. Uh, We saw Alexa Bliss defeat Randy Orton in four minutes and 45 seconds of what I can barely call a match. Um, We saw the return of the Fiend. He looks kind of like a cross between the fucking Creeper from Jeepers Creepers and the Toxic Avenger. Um, I've never liked this fucking character. It just is what it is. I don't know. Whatever. Well, with the anniversary of Friday the 13th, the new beginning being re- one of my recent, favorites. Hey, uh, yeah. Uh, back in 1985, it came out, I think on March 22nd, right? Yesterday as we yep. record. So yeah, it was kind of their version of the, the fiend, you know, coming back as the burnt fiend, you know, the new look cause he got burnt up so, <laughs> thinking about the horror movie shit, which is obviously what they're going for with that character. And I think that's why you're not big on it because you could look right through that at where you're at now and, and you know, us being big horror movie buffs since for forever. So it's you gotta see through like, the cheesiness of it. I mean, it's not even that. It's just like if I could look forward to his matches as something I wanted to see, then I could accept it. Yeah, that would help. But yeah. It's just it's all flash and no substance. That's what sucks about it. So I don't know. It is what it is. They're gonna keep doing it whether or not I like it or not. So it really doesn't matter. Uh, but what matters though is in the main event. The main event, baby. We had a singles match for the WWE Universal Championship with Edge as the special guest enforcer. And in 30 minutes, we saw Roman Reigns defeat Daniel Bryan. And with what a shadow of a doubt to me was the match of the night. Um, Daniel Bryan is still one of the absolute best performers in the entire business. Oh, he proved um, this and match dude, for sure. And I got to say this too, people don't realize how good Roman Reigns is. I was shocked at some of the shit I saw in this match. And maybe it takes wrestling somebody like Daniel Bryan to get that out of him. I don't know. But dude, Roman's really good. And I'm not just talking about he's a good heel and he, you know, he could have a good match. Like his selling, like, you know, whenever Daniel Bryan does the yes kicks. Oh, yeah. I've never seen anybody in WWE sell those the way Roman did at Fastlane. And I thought it was awesome. Like he was kind of getting up from them, but he was definitely like out of it. Like he was like stumbling back and forth. So he wasn't taking them like super safe. So like he was in, like they were going at it. It was really cool. Amazing. Um, Dude, the level that these two guys went to in this match was really, really good. Um, I can't comment enough on how I love to see matches like this. And I love when they happen kind of almost unexpectedly, not that I didn't think they would have a good match. Cause I did. I just didn't expect them to have this kind of match. I was really impressed. It really was a great way to cap off the night. Uh, totally awesome match. I I'm fine with them doing the, uh, the turn, the turn by edge to kind of cost Daniel Bryan the match. Uh, they basically had Roman tap out to Daniel Bryan because it it appears they're going to be doing the triple threat now at WrestleMania, which I generally hate triple threat matches, 
but I don't have a problem with it in this match. I just think with the the level of performers that Edge and Roman and Daniel Bryan are that it's going to be really good. Yeah, I'm with you. As as we always do, I you know pull up a reference for timing and things like that. So shout out to Four One One Mania and Kevin Pontania, and he he mentions uh, in his breakdown of the match that they had a fast lane match in 2015, Roman and Brian, and he had thought that was really good at the time, but he's saying here, just to reiterate your point, he had that Roman is way better now. And, and that's where he's at, man. That's that much of an evolution in almost five, six years. And yeah, this, I'll, I'll put it this way. I'll sum it up. Cause you, you broke it down really good with the implementation of, of edge involved on top of how classic of a match this was. This was the Jays pick for AEW, independence from what I've seen in 2021. This is my match of the year so far. Unbelievable. The timing there right at a half hour. You know me, I, that's like my sweet spot on amazing matches. It is. this well-paced. So yep. my match of the year so far, what can I say? I might agree with you on that. I might have to go back and double check just to make sure. I was sure thinking about it. I couldn't something. think anything better. So if I did, I did, but I'm yeah, sticking I, to probably, it. Yeah, I'd probably agree with you on that. I, I, I have no problem with you even saying that because I think it's really that high of a level of a match. They did a great job. Um, and it kind of capped off a pay-per-view with good and bad stuff. But honestly, dude, the good on this show was really good. Um, so, and this is a show going into it that I didn't care about at all, um, which means I don't really care about the outcomes and stuff at all. Uh, so if I could watch a pay-per-view like that and I still really enjoy the action, that's saying a lot. Um, so overall, as you know, we got, we do the letter grades for the wrestling shows on here. I'm going to go with a B for this one. Man, I'd like to say something different <laughs> to be different, but we're, we're concurrent on a lot of things consistently, but it is what it is. I'm right with you, man. Nice, solid B. Uh, this was one of those ones that I'm right with you. It surprised me kind of going into it. You kind of hope for it to be one of those ones that you're unsuspecting, as we always say, and that's kind of what it was. Because um, it is a shame, like like you mentioned, how it's like, you, you know, you're not really big on like where they're going from here because that's kind of the gimmick of this pay-per-view and like why it's branded as Fastlane because like they said at the outset of the show with like the the narrator, this is the night that could change the course of WrestleMania and in turn history basically, you know, because a guy like that's in a championship match can go over, yeah, and like get their shot at Mania and stuff, which is kind of like what Daniel Bryan did here, I feel. It's like even if they didn't necessarily and just say in particular specifically Vince didn't have plans to to have a triple threat. This might have swayed him, you know, behind the scenes. Who knows? Uh, it was that good, well, but I think that's dude, the route they're going. I was reading something where the report said that like Vince just wasn't satisfied for some reason with Edge and Roman. He didn't really know why, and I guess he just felt like Edge would work better as at least a tweener or a heel. Then you have Roman's heel character, and then Daniel Bryan's in there, obviously, to play the baby face, which yeah, is Yeah, and great. he's even somewhat of a tweener in this, in a way, because he's kind of getting aggressive, you know? It all depends on who your favorite guy is, I guess. You know what yeah. I mean? Roman's clearly defined heel, but the other ones, they're willing to play a little faster. They're almost tweener, with. yeah. It, yep. Yeah. Um, I do think Daniel Bryan comes across a little bit more as... Uh, like the baby face though just i, I mean because obviously no, I, well edge you. turned at the pay-per-view and daniel bryan's whole thing's like i should be able to work my way back into this like and i'm not he's not being an asshole he's not like attacking people and shit he's just yeah, he even matches. said to him he's like edge you're the ultimate opportunist that's your whole exactly like, one of your monikers like i figured you'd see 
what I'm doing here is in, in respect that, you know, he's like, well, I just don't like how you're doing it. Like, I, I like that story. It's yeah. Good. I think, I think it's been pretty good. Uh, and it was pretty good on this night too. So, you know, fast lane, definitely a really good pay-per-view overall. So uh, kudos to WWE there. So um, what the fuck? You see that? I know. I, dude, what is, dude, what is that fucking thing? Dude, do you see that? I think it's louder by the week, it seems. Hey, yeah, I'm going to hit Go, go, go. Just go, go. All right, guys, we'll be back right after this, as long as we can make it out on the other side with another Thursday Night Prime, this time with Chuck Bronson, uh, Murphy's Law. So stay tuned, guys. We'll be back right after this on the Postal Podcast. No air conditioning? No whirlpool? Please. Get built in Bloomfield at the Exercise Warehouse Gym. The Exercise Warehouse Gym is not a health spa. We do not have any gimmicks to interfere with your workout. We've created an atmosphere for results, not lounging around. We do have clean locker and shower rooms for men and women for your convenience. Old style free weights, including barbells and dumbbells, hammer, body masters and Nautilus strength training equipment, treadmills, recumbent bikes, aerobic classes, self-defense classes, personal training by Marco, personal training and gym membership gift certificates available cooler stock with protein drinks and bottled water gym logo t-shirts and hoodies available check us out at www.builtinbloomfield.com at 4042 liberty avenue pittsburgh pennsylvania 15224 you can call us at area code 412-621-1650 that's area code 412-621-1650 It's time for Thursday Night Pride. And we're back. We survived, thankfully. Uh, And it is once again another week here with Thursday Night Prime. This time we're going back to 1986 with J. Lee Thompson directed Murphy's Law starring none other than Charles Bronson. This time, a tough police detective, Charles Bronson himself, escapes from custody after being framed and arrested for the murder of his ex-wife and must now find the real killer and prove his innocence. Uh, This one, of course, stars Charles Bronson. It also stars Kathleen Willote as Arabella McGee. Uh, Carrie Snodgrass is in this. Uh, It doesn't have, like, this big expanding cast. It has, like, a bunch of people that are vaguely familiar to you. And uh, this is a canon picture, by the way, which is exactly why it's appropriate for Thursday Night Prime. Um, And it's kind of what you would expect uh, from a Bronson movie in 1986. It's it's sort of loosely ish, kind of the mixture of Death Wish and a cop film. Um, And basically, the the thing that's memorable about this one to me, obviously, is uh, the performance of Catherine Kathleen Willote as like the foul mouth, like street punk girl, Annabelle. Uh, so it's, it's awkward. There's some comedy in it. Um, but overall it's, it's not really bad. Uh, it's, it worked more than I thought it would. Uh, it's just goofy enough for me to find it more entertaining than just a run of the mill, just cop movie. Um, of course, it has its unintentional humor and stuff like that, but that goes to with the territory here uh, on the segment. Uh, you called it, hey, Ed, it brought 
the Thursday night prime segment here on what's real back to form. We had a bit of a hiatus. We did something kind of different on the official return with the documentary about the eighties and nineties action films. And then last week uh, we brought Chuck Norris on, which never hurts, but it was one of his, you know, kind of like more sleeper films as we thoroughly discussed. So point is this brings us right back to form because as you've said, Hey, it had the Jay's favorite for Thursday night prime what we call here on the show UIC unintentional comedy there it was in a plenty. And that was thanks to, as you've already stated, Kathleen will with the show stealing performance as <laughs> a street punk. And I will be covering her lines. Trust me there uh, just to start there. But yeah, like pretty much halfway through, I was kind of like clapping, applauding to myself. Hey, I'd like, yeah, we're back to form baby on Thursday night prime. Cause I was definitely thoroughly enjoying it. And Charles Bronson, over Chuck Norris, the way it worked out is the one to bring it back after this hiatus. Yeah, and you got to love it because, okay, it, I got to give my first quote because it's it's the most important quote of the movie, of course. So Okay, I'll counter you with my first one. There's the, well. the point where, where Jack Murphy, the character that Bronson plays, uh, is coming across Frank Vincenzo, this gangster that's also another character in the movie. And uh, there's a scene where he runs into some thugs and, and he goes, he's like, hey, Jack, you know what Murphy's Law says? If something can go wrong, it probably will. And he's like, well, good thing I the only law I know about is Jack Murphy's Law. And that's that you don't fuck with Jack Murphy. <laughs> <laughs> which he'll use again, of course. Yes, which makes it even um, better. It's a callback. Yeah. It's great. It, my my first one was uh, the one guy because of course Murphy's um, ex wife ends up becoming a topless dancer. Oh man, that's the, the one cost busting his balls that hates him. He's like, <laughs> I was at Madame Tom's the other night. Saw your wife, nice tits. They made, uh, taste as good as they <laughs> And of course Murphy just punches him in the face, right in the face. Yeah. <laughs> and then, dude, I but, I love the two like coinciding with that scene. Where like the captain comes out, he's like, "Break it up, you two. He's like, "Murphy, get in my office." And he comes in and he's like, "Jesus Christ, Jack." He's like, "You look like you've been up for forty eight hours." Or like, he's like, "You look like you've been up for four days." Like, <laughs> you look like you just walked out of the drunk tank. Yeah, yeah. That's what he's like. <laughs> and he's like, and he's like, "Yeah." And he's like, "Sorry, it was something personal that he said." And he's like, "Yeah." And then he kind of like smiles. He's like, get the hell out of here. And just, yeah, fucking Jack. It's, 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 yeah, because after his wife left him, he just like becomes a fucking alcoholic is one of his layers of character. And of course, they added, which always works. You get that wonderful scene of him going to see his his wife at the his ex-wife at the strip club. And he's just like, why are you here? Or, or he's like, he's like, so. You're you call this dancing, huh? And she's like, I am a dancer. And he's like, so that's what you call it, huh? He's like, why are you out here doing this? Why are you out here dancing like a whore? Like, (laughs) like it's. Then he says it again. He's like, you just look like a whore, and this looks like your pimp. Because a guy comes up to to break it up. Like, dude, there's a bunch of stuff in this that's just super vulgar, which is always hilarious. We're like, whenever, like, so the girl that we're talking about, the girl character in this, uh, originally steals Bronson's car at the beginning of the movie, 
and he kind of tries to catch her, but she wrecks into a restaurant and just gets away. He catches her another time, takes her to jail, and, like, they're off with their fucking shitty relationship. But it's just like, dude, some of the shit that they say to each other and the way they act towards each other is hilarious. And it's, like, just constant barbs at each other. And some of them are hilarious because instead of just being like, you're an asshole, the girl in this is just like, she's the adjective queen. So we listen here, you scum sucking booger faggot. Like, okay. <laughs> yeah. Cause of course this yeah, movie is, com- yeah, it's completely insensitive. The movie it's, you're watching a Canon movie from the eighties. So 80s, yeah, she's not pulling. Yeah. Nobody's pulling any punches here. So it's which it eventually becomes somewhat like they never hook up, but it's leading to that. And it's like the it creep, sexual. dude. It's the creepiest <laughs> yeah, it's so scene weird. because okay, now I don't know. Now I'd seen this before. It's been a really long time, right? So I'm watching the movie, and I don't know about you, but through like a large portion of this movie, you're just under the impression she's just kind of like some juvie shit bag. And she's apparently not, because then it would be really weird if, like, you know, the 15-year-old street punk girl and Bronson hook up. Uh, but they, <laughs> they kind of went there, but then just it gets cut off, thankfully, because that would have maybe ruined the movie to me. So um, Saved by the Bell, the phone rings, because she's like, yeah, I, I like him older. And he's like, really? And she's like, is that true what they say about cops? She's like, what's that? That you cover the size of your pecker with your guns? And then he says something like, hey, I don't know about that. And she's like, we'll prove it. And then the phone rings. <laughs> and of course, so I was like, where are they going with like, it? you just expect it to be some non-consequential phone call. No, it's like the dude calling like, we found him, Jack. We know right where he's at. Do you need to come down here? And he's like, all right, we got to go. Like, uh, yeah. It's amazing. This is really good, though. I enjoyed it. Uh Obviously, nobody's going to be winning an Oscar for it. But whenever you watch a mid 80s Charles Bronson flick, this is essentially what you're looking for. And it's kind of the thing that I always say on here. I don't I won't have a problem with any movie. Just give me what you're promising to give me. And that's exactly what Murphy's Law is. It's just like a framed cop on the run movie with this young girl. And it's just him trying to figure out who's framing him, which for the most part, it's kind of like a slasher movie or a revenge movie. It's a simple, easy to perform premise. And as long as you just tick all the boxes, the movie's going to be fine. And that's what I think this kind of is. Yeah, it was different for the time back in 86, a Bronson movie where the, the lead protagonist was female. And she was a badass. Yeah. She was fucking creepy sociopath. Yeah, that's another the a- actress did well. That's, Carrie Snodgrass. Dude, that's definitely like an oddball against type kind of thing that they did with that. That I don't. That's what I thought. That stuck I, out to me. I don't really understand the choice, but I don't mean that in a negative way. Like I just I didn't see anything that was like blatantly there to be like that's why this is a woman, but. I thought it was cool. It worked. I thought it was interesting. And it was kind of cool, too, because they, you know, like she's she plays like this nondescript, like assassin character. But then there's a scene wherever she's in the room with like her psychiatrist and it kind of shows you the kind of person that she is. And I was like, well, I wasn't expecting that. This is cool. Like, I dig it. So, yeah, I mean, all around, I really can't be mad at this. It's totally like you said, as a as a true return to form for Thursday Night Prime, because this is like the exact type of movie 
that we look at here. It has a little bit yeah, of it's like everything. putting on your favorite gloves. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, for sure. It just fits perfect. Or here on What's Real, we say putting on a favorite pair of Jordans again. Yes. But yeah, they. Uh, I have to shout out because as you, as we talked about thoroughly, Kathleen Willette as Arabella McGee stole the show as just uh, like Ed said, just like just vulgar adjectives throughout the movie. So I'm shouting out my two favorites. Maybe Cam can do something fun with it. We'll see. But nonetheless, uh, towards the beginning, Bronson goes in the women's room after her when he first catches her again, after, like Ed said, she crashed and got away and she ends up calling him. God, you snot looking donkey fart. Yeah. <laughs> so that one stood out. And then the other part that had me dying. So towards the end of the movie, they're all trying to figure out what the fuck's going on. It's her Bronson and some other cop that's like weary of them and shit, but it's like at that point helping them. But he's like kind of being like, you know, hard headed towards the, the two of them and shit, especially the girl and, and uh, he and, and Kathleen's character, Arabella, are getting into it. And she's like, by the end, like at the end of them going back and forth, she's like, You're welcome, dildo. And then Bronson like comes out of nowhere. He's like, Jesus Christ. What is this? Romper room? <laughs> he's just like fed up. And the way he delivers oh, it, dude. the way the scenes build up after she calls him dildo nose, I, I was dying. I called that out because I because me and my girlfriend were watching this and I literally was like, dude, I love this. It's like crotchety old man uh Fuck yeah. it, because it's like the two people just arguing. He's like, "Would you two knock yeah, it off?" Like, Jesus yeah, Christ! Like, yeah, like, he's like, what is this romper room? Like, did they just film this? And he's legitimately like, "These goddamn asshole, knock it the fuck off!" I've had enough. I'm going to have a bourbon. Like, and just leaves the set. But dude, there's you know, <laughs> there's some funny shit in this one with the characters and everything. But like it's amazing how it all plays together and it, it like, dude, there's a scene in this movie that someone wrote that is so bad to me that it is genius. We're like, he walks in the room and she's making a sandwich and he's like, Hey, you making a sandwich? She's like, yeah, you want one? He's like, sure. Uh, no mayonnaise. Who the hell doesn't like mayonnaise on their sandwich? I don't like mayonnaise. All right. No mayonnaise. Thank you. That's a scene. I just literally that's, that's their relationship yeah, in a nutshell. Yeah, just hilarious. Like, what human being doesn't like mayonnaise? I don't like mayonnaise. I'm like, <laughs> okay, so that was important to totally get all that in there, I guess, for time or something. <laughs> the other, the other one that cracked me up not to poke fun at fucking alcoholism, but he he first wakes up in the the morning when they're at that house yeah. and she's cooking breakfast, and he grabs a bottle of straight bourbon and he chugs a little bit of it, and then he like shivers. <laughs> Like, you know, because most grizzled alcoholics just take it. You know, I think they were emphasizing that for his character. But yeah, there's just all kinds of awkward, natural, funny shit like that throughout this. And like you said, we came full blown back to form here on Thursday Night Prime with Murphy's Law. Hey, yo. And dude, it's really no surprise if you look at it. So Jay Lee Thompson, the director of this, is one of the more prolific directors we've ever had here on Thursday Night Prime. This is a dude who worked with Charles Bronson a ton. Uh, he directed Death Wish 4, 10 to Midnight, another really good uh, Bronson flick. He directed Firewalker with uh, Chuck Norris and Louis Gossett Jr. Oh, yeah. He also directed the 1981 slasher film Happy Birthday to Me. Um, he also directed uh, the, Reincarnate, the Reincarnation of Peter Proud. That's like a really well-known cult movie uh, with Margot Kidder and Jennifer O'Neill in it and stuff. 
Um, yeah, I remember that. Uh, Messenger of Death and St. Ives, both with uh, Charles Bronson. Uh, he worked with just about everybody. I mean, dude has a re- he made Huck Finn. Uh, like, the, dude, there's a ton of stuff on here. Kinjate he made. Uh, also, uh, fucking The Gun of Navarone, uh, which is pretty crazy to think about that he also made that. So, you know, working with dudes like Gregory Peck, like he had like, he always wanted to work with like leading men from the looks of it. Uh, but dude has a really, really good catalog of stuff. So even with stuff like this on a basic level, uh, he was probably used just due to the fact that he had a large catalog of stuff and he could probably bring a movie in on budget pretty directly. So, uh, it, old pro, you know, old pro, good hand, uh, if you will. So uh, Murphy's Law is definitely a winner to me. Uh, but before we get into that, the J, let's get a tagline in there for him this week. Sure thing. Hey, yeah. Bronson Murphy's Law. He's a cop. She's a thief. Together, they're running for their lives. Not a bad one. I will say that. That's the yeah. same one that I have for it, too. So no additionals to add there. Uh, but overall, I did enjoy this one. Not reinventing the wheel, but it was fun enough. Overall, on the five-star rating scale, I'm going to give this one three stars. Right with you, hey, yeah, we're like five for five on our picks with wrestling letter grades and ratings, but it is what it is. I'm right with you with a solid three for Murphy's Law. So uh, don't forget to join us next week here on the show where we're going to take a look at one that I've personally been wanting to take a look at here on the show for a long, long time. We're going to go back to 1993 with Billy Blanks and Roddy Piper. This is back in action. Uh, if this one plays the way I remember it, next week's going to be a lot of fun, the Jay. Yeah, looking forward to it, man. You can't beat the Blanks-Piper duo. Yeah, surprisingly, it was done more than once. So, uh, But we'll talk about all that more next week. But we have to take another quick commercial break. When we come up, we're going to wrap up the show, and then we're going to do some goofs, as usual, as we do here. So stay tuned, guys. We'll be back right after this on the What's Real podcast. This is Ed from the What's Real Podcast, urging you to check out the Make Results Not Excuses clothing company today. In 2017, Marcus and Jason began their fitness journey, and after the first day, both men looked at each other and wondered what they got themselves into. They were out of shape and struggled to initially find the motivation to keep going. It was a fight, like many things you want in life. They worked hard and eventually found themselves in the best shape of their lives. When they realized they achieved their goal, Mark looked at Jason and said, make results, not excuses. Being the fearless businessman that Jason was, he said, we need to put that on a shirt. And so the buzz began. They were so passionate about being a part of something positive and making something good out of a bad situation, whether it was fitness, business, health, lifestyle, or converting your daydreams into tangible visions, they didn't just love seeing people wearing it, they loved seeing people live by it. It's a movement, and one that reaches people in all situations. Unfortunately, Jason left us too young, and Mark is committed to carrying on his legacy. Tomorrow isn't promised, and if you wait until the last minute to achieve your goal, the opportunity may not be waiting for you. We promise to support the Make Results, Not Excuses community, and our community includes everybody. Let's make this happen today. Check us out at MakeResultsNotExcuses.com. Again, that's MakeResultsNotExcuses.com. So make results and not excuses starting now. Hey everybody, this is Herman James for the What's Real Podcast, and I'm here to just let you know to welcome you to Goofs or Goofs. That's right, we're back in the J. 
What do we got this week on the goof front? Uh, we're going to come up with a goof song, Hey Yeah, because we always got the What's Real Goofs Are Goofs, and episode 63 is definitely no different. So we're starting off this week. Uh, we have the four horsemen of Goofs or Goose with four uh, this week on the show. And the first one is Spanish porn star Nacho Vidal has been charged <laughs> with reckless homicide after a man died during a ceremony involving toad venom. You hear about this one? Hey, Eli. Unfortunately, yes, I did. <laughs> As the first comment says, Nacho the porn star in Toad Venom. I didn't even need to open the article. That's enough internet for me today. <laughs> but yeah, um, I can see that. Yeah, it's a pretty crazy story. Um, I, I guess, you know, he was some sort of. He, he, so he was on suspicion of manslaughter in May following an 11 month investigation. Uh, this, according to a statement at the time from Spain's law enforcement agency, the Guardia Seville, the investigation showed the victim, a photographer, died after participating in a spiritual or mystical ceremony in July 2019 in Spain. The ritual, which took place in Vidal's home, involved inhaling venomous vapors from the burning of scales from a bufo alvarius toad, according to what the What could statement. go wrong? Goofs are truly goofs. Hey, Eel, and Nacho Vidal is no different. Next up, no lie there. Next up is our viral video of the week. As I put it in my notes, hey, Ed, dancing idiot lands on head and plays it off. Um, we <laughs> put it on the Twitter if we can, but it looks like it's a, like a bar mitzvah or something. There, there's a stage, a bunch of people, and then they give it to them. Most of them are wearing masks here. And this dude comes out on the stage to do a dance. He's kind of dancing. He goes up on this uh, like pallet that's there and does a backflip. And lands directly on his head, but to his credit, he gets up and just starts dancing horribly to play it off. Well, I mean, you know, you can't expect him to dance great. He was probably in another dimension at that <laughs> point. Jesus Christ. Like, uh, yeah. like, dude, I, the people, this is why you don't do shit like this. This is why I don't do shit like this. Yeah. <laughs> like, fuck. Like they said on here, slick transition, like it went as planned. It definitely didn't because, you know. If, if, if the dude's under 20, like we always used to call ourselves rubberneck boy, he's probably all right. But if he's our age, he might be paralyzed. Well, it's the kind of thing where it's like, yeah, you might be fine walking around, but you're definitely going to pay for that one day. Like your neck's just going to be all fucked up. And you're like, I don't know why my neck's fucked up. Like, oh, yeah, you don't remember the viral video. Yeah, that's why your neck your neck's been fucked up for thirty two years, Dave. <laughs> yeah. Next up, uh, this was on D- TMZ and some other things. It was viral as a terrified grandmother here in the U.S. has pleaded for help after spotting a demon in quotes lurking over her b- baby granddaughter's cot. Did you catch this one? Hey y'all. No, I did. Very creepy. Tori McKenzie set up a motion-activated camera at her son's house after his two-year-old daughter Amber was talking to something unseen in the middle of the night. And the footage uh, allegedly caught a supernatural ordeal. Uh, the two-year-old granddaughter had been warning about this invisible intruder to go away. So after setting up the camera and checking the footage, she claimed to see a horned figure with long claws standing inches away from the sleeping girl and her seven-month-old brother, Michael McKenzie. The creature can apparently be seen in stills taken from the footage loitering in the room close to the kids' cots as Miss McKenzie has tried to rid the house of evil, evil presence. So this is basically real life in, in, in the, the conjuring or real life insidious. Hate y'all. So naturally, you know what I have to say, don't you? What's that? 
I won't believe it when I see it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's a picture of it. We could maybe post. Uh, it's creepy as hell, but it definitely looks doctored because if that shit's real, fuck that. If that's my it's kids. not <laughs> <laughs> breaking news. It's not. It's all bullshit. The horn demon is not a goof. He just doesn't exist at all. Exactly. So there's <laughs> it's so that's that's the the goofs or goofs in all of this. So, hey, Ed, I ask you, what does Cinnamon Toast Crunch, Shrimp Tails, and Rat Poop have in common? Uh, they found both in Cinnamon Toast Crunch. <laughs> they found both in a cereal box, as this man has claimed to have found Shrimp Tails and uh, Rat Poop, because I guess there was like these black marks on a Cinnamon Toast Crunch. And uh, yeah, he, he said, unfortunately, he had eaten some of it. Um, but yeah, after further investigation, after further investigation with my eyes, these are cinnamon coated strip tails. I wasn't all that mad. And now you're trying to gaslight me. Cause I guess, you know, once you put something on uh, Twitter, you, you start in a war and I guess, uh, cinnamon toast crunches, Twitter account started with this dude in response after further investigation with our team to closely examine the image. It appears to be an accumulation of the cinnamon sugar that sometimes can occur when ingredients aren't thoroughly blended. We assure you that there's no possibility of cross-contamination with shrimp. That's Cinnamon Toast Crunch response. Well, dude, it's, and and I saw one of the first people responded to it was uh, with a picture from the movie District 9. And it was like the CDC people coming to collect the, quote, accumulation of sugar, unquote. And it's like there's an alien standing next to him. (laughs) It's like. And you know what's even weirder than that, Hayhead? What's that? The dude that found this, Jensen Carp, is married to Boy Meets World Star Daniel Fischel, who I was in love with as Topanga. If Topanga. Things can't get, he's married to Topanga in real life, if things can't be what? any weirder. What the hell is happening? <laughs> it's 2021. Hey, you don't get used to it. Jesus. Yeah. like We're like in a vortex or something at this point. We got to be. He goes on to say, and be, besides the shrimp tail in the Cinnamon Toast Crunch, he also had many of the squares with black marks and some are dyed red. And yes, I ate a bowl before noti- noticing all this. So mm, yep. this is the worst cinnamon toast. Too, too bad I'm not too bad I'm not single. Hey, you because know, I love Topanga and she may be a wind widow very soon. Hey, you never know. Things stranger things have happened. But I say to my main man, hey, you know, all the time between a dance idiot who lands on his own head and plays it off to a demon standing over a crib being completely bullshit to a Spanish porn star killing a guy with toad venom and cinnamon toast crunch, shrimp tails and rat shit. Goofs are are goofs. goofs. Well, that's it for us this week, guys. Hope you enjoyed episode 63. Um, If you're listening via iTunes, feel free to give us a five-star review helps out the show, gets more eyes and ears on the program. And of course, every week you can listen to us on all your favorite podcasting platforms like Spotify, Podbean, Google Podcasts, and every week on churchillpictures.com. So before we go, I got to hand it over to the Jay who's revving it the fuck on up over there. I'm revving it up, hate you, like a man that could be with Topanga herself in another life. Pumped up this week. It was a great show. 63 is in the books, the JFK conspiracy episode. Loved it. Hey, I'd love spending the time with you, brother. As we always say, the Steve McQueen in it, the great escape from pandemic living. Love the show. Shout out to the wizard behind the boards himself, the camster and the 
Flesh, love you, Cam. Thanks for the 8K crystal clear audio that you produce with us every week. We really appreciate it, man. Keep doing what you do. And to all those peeps out there, as we both always say, the Jays leading the charge, especially in these times. Stay safe. Stay healthy. You'll hear the J next week. So that is it for us this week here on episode 63. Uh, appreciate you, the J, sitting down with me here each and every week as we do on the program. And shout out to the wizard behind the boards, Cam, because as we know, nobody beats the whiz. So thanks for all the hard work you put in for the show. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Uh, stay safe, stay healthy, and we'll see you right here next week on the What's Real Podcast. What's real? What's real?